It's Thursday night at 9pm and you know what that means. Yes, hello and welcome everyone once again to the Charisma Vacuum Podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode 021, episode 21 of the show. We're currently streaming live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Charisma Vacuum. We're also on YouTube, CastBox, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from. If you enjoy the show, please feel free to give us a subscribe or a like. Um, a follow on Twitch would also be nice if you're there. Uh, get in touch and interact with the show via the comments on any platform that you choose. We always love to hear from you. And we're also available at charismavacuumpodcast at gmail.com should you wish to get in touch with us there. To my right. That's my left. That's my right. It's Matt. It's Mr. Matt. He seems to be enjoying the book. Hello, Mr. Matt. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm going to look this way. Oh. To try look to... Hi there, Daniel. Good oh, to hi. see you there. Hi. I was busy reading this book on the Cold War. Speaking of left and right. <laughs> oh. Very uh, good, we're a very, very cultured show. Mm, we are. We are. So uh, I'm using this to uh, create my own fan fiction about the, uh, the Yugoslavian purge of Italian and French soldiers in the post-World War II era. Wow, I was, I was just going to make a Stalin joke. That's like properly involved. Well, these. you know, I'm a cultured man. Tell us more. Tell us more. Uh, well, Stalin's penis <laughs> <laughs> was barbed, but on the inside. Peanuts? <laughs> Bees? <laughs> we should make that a new thing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say penis or peanuts? <laughs> you know I said peanuts. <laughs> oh, we have good oh, banter. We do. We, we are. Do. This is a Charisma Vacuum podcast. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If this is your second, third, fourth, why are you here? Just go do something else more constructive. And if you've made it to 21, then kudos. <gasps> 21 shows. Goodness me. That's crazy to think about. It's a big boy number. Mm-hmm. But I have memorized the intro, um, which I didn't think I had, but apparently I have. I just need to work some work on my left and right with regards to webcamming. Because you won't have noticed because you were so engrossed in your book. But I said to my right, and I look this way and looked like a moron. So <laughs> I don't know. That's a slight against the dyspraxic community, Daniel. Well, you know, who, who likes who likes that community? It's what not... are they going to do? Write us an angry misspelt letter? <laughs> <laughs> We're getting in trouble already. We take back everything we say. We apologize. We'll leave them write it out for you and send. Oh no! Oh oh no! no. Oof, oof, oof. <laughs> um, because we all know that dyspraxics can't open letters. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. They're not people. <laughs> they can't be trusted with letter openers. You know, they're they're very sharp little knife things. Um, hello, Mister Matt. How are you? I'm doing all right, Mister Daniel. How have you been this week? Oh, I'm 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 just I'm stunned you'd ask. I'm I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, a bit tired, a bit tired, as you well know, and uh, I think one or two people may know if they tune in regularly. I am very much a night owl, and uh, this morning I had to wake up prior to nine a.m. So I mean that's like the middle of the night to me, um, which was which was a harrowing experience, and uh, to go and do DIY, no less. To go and you've never seen the dawn. No, 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 no. Unless it's of the dead, um, which was also a harrowing experience. It was a film that that happened twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so yeah, I had to go and do DIY at a ridiculous hour in the morning, and uh, yeah, that's that's not that's not when I work best. I work best after hours, like when we finish this show, and uh, and then I get to work on the thumbnails and all the hilarious banter in the in the description and uh, all that kind of thing. That's when I work best. So all the while blasting out that Electric Six classic after hours, which is that's a funky tune. Uh, we should al- put that on later. Work away to that one. Which album's that off? Uh, Zodiac, twenty ten. No, twenty eleven. Zodiac. If it's not on, um, uh, is it Fire? Their uh, oh, their, their, <laughs> yeah, their first album. The first album. Yeah, mm. I must admit that's the only one that I seriously listened to when it came. Oh no! Came. Check out Kill, Kill Zodiac, Heartbeats and Brainwaves, and maybe um how dare you uh, are probably the uh, the ones to check out wow how many albums do they have uh they released one every year until 2019 and i've been waiting ever since jesus christ one every year mm. from 2001 was that five four i think was it yeah i think it was... oh wait no 2003 so uh, yeah one every year from 2003 up until i think it was 20 Actually, you're probably right. Was the last one. Yeah, 2003. No, you're right. Um, I'm really good with uh, the 90s with regards to, you know, knowing years and things after 2000. Yeah. It's, you know, 9-11 happened and then... <laughs> then we got Green Day. <laughs> <laughs> System of a Down was a thing. And then we got politically charged rap. And then the Sist- Obama years came and it, it all got just boring. <laughs> System of, of a Down was uh, the 90s, though. Late nineties, were they? Yeah, I think it's uh, been the real late end because um, Toxi- I think Toxicity was ninety eight, but I might be wrong. I could have sworn Toxicity was two thousand two at the very earliest, maybe two thousand one. Okay, this needs to be investigating. I, I I would have put money on about two thousand three for Aerials uh, Toxicity. Sorry. Oh my god, it came it out alongside two thousand one. I'm just I'm just way off. Um, I don't know why I thought it was the nineties. Why do I think it was a nice It's because I associate it with secondary school, which for some mm. reason I don't think about as being in, in the 2000s. But that was miles, miles way off, just no. Um, that wasn't their first. Oh! Um, here's, where I gave, hand. here's where I gave my cred back. I'm thinking of their debut album, which was released in 1998. So That'll uh, be it. Yeah, their self-titled debut album. So mm. that's the explanation I'm sticking with. <laughs> Sugar's a good album, a uh, good track from that album. Can't remember too much of the debut apart from that. It was the first release from that album. In fact, there were only two, uh, that and Spiders. Oh, Spiders, yeah. Uh, yes. Yep, yep, yep. And then uh, Toxicity was a game changer. We need to talk more music on this show, don't we? Yeah, Toxic- that's something we've really given a skip. Mm. <laughs> Everything circles back round to J-pop. <laughs> what, well, what's the best anime intro? That, but... <laughs> <laughs> I got some stuff lined up later. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and toxicity was uh, a game changer. As I said, I always think of toxicity in, in the same breath as something like "Songs for the Deaf" by Queens of the mm. Stone Age. Uh, in that, it just really defined the um, hard rock slash metal slash stoner rock. Um, of the early 2000s. Um, yeah, so I'm tired, but we will push through and have a good show tonight. How are you? 
I'm doing good. I've rediscovered a lot of Dexter's lab today. Oh, very good. Yeah, while looking for creepy fan art online. Um, <laughs> there's, always remind... a, there's always a catch. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the, there's a, a cravat to everything I do. Um, so while looking for uh, for creepy Dexter art, um, I, I remembered episodes like the ice cream man that he slights with that jar of pennies. Mm. <laughs> and uh, when he becomes an old man because he wants to stay up past 10 o'clock and watch the violent movie. <laughs> and then be, I'm not grandpa! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, classics. Kids TV shows are really where you find the original stories, I think, aren't they? You you, you don't get that level of originality and um and thoughtfulness in in adult entertainment at all. Uh first first cup of the evening. Um would you would you agree with that? Just kind of the off the wall antics of the 90s cartoon cartoons. Uh to the sort of like new era Looney Tunes. Um are they you geared towards adults? Things like the Looney Tunes show sort of are. It's it's almost like Looney Tunes meets Seinfeld. Really good show. Oh, okay. Um, but then you've got things like, obviously, Rick and Morty, Paradise PD, uh, you know, the, uh, what's it called, uh, Big Mouth, you know, mm. sort of very teen to adult orientated cartoons that and they don't exactly have, well, Rick and Morty, uh, aside, they don't have stellar writing, but they just get by on the sheer gratuity of things, whereas... Dexter episodes would just have really not adult in the sort of over the top Zack Snyder man child way, but Ma- just like mature themes. Yeah, mature themes. Um, but at the same time, making them really accessible for children and the parents that were being forced to watch them. <laughs> um, I was in a business studies class. Again, don't know why I'm talking about schools as much as more than I ever have done on this show. Um, and this will have been the same time Toxicity was released. Um, and one of the things that always stuck with me from this business studies class, despite the fact of how much I hated it, was uh, uh, the teacher saying at the time uh, how you have all these adult advertisements on Cartoon Network because of all the parents that sit down and watch uh, cartoons with their kids, and that's what they pay attention to. And it's one of those things where when you're a kid, it's really curious because you'll have all these cartoon, uh, all these toy adverts. And then uh, next to it, it'll be like a funeral, <laughs> funeral. Um... <laughs> yeah. What's it called? Park life. <laughs> Park life. Adverts By the time stuff. all your friends start dying, you begin <laughs> to realize the important things. And even to this day, I still find that a curious avenue to go down for a um, for, a, you know, a, a company like that. But my... I, distinctly remember bringing that up in class and my business studies teacher being like well this is the reason and um yeah i'd be interested to see how effective that is i don't know why i've brought this up but that's just another memory i have (laughs) down the rabbit hole yeah well that's what we do on this show isn't it we've we've become far too uh stable over recent weeks with our segmented sections so we need to throw in a bit of chaos every now and again speaking Uh, of rabbit holes I'm going to post something in the Discord that I found earlier, Mark, um, as spoiler. Um, so I was just looking for Evangelion just to see what was on uh, YouTube. Uh, not YouTube, sorry, Netflix. So I typed in Evangelion, or started to, um, and then it popped up with, like, uh, you know how it does, similar things related to your search. And if you pop open the Discord and click on the, the lowest image... Yep. It will show you Sylvanian families. 
It's oh what? <laughs> You're going properly into the charisma vacuum law with this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we got a deep dive. So they have a Sylvanian Family's TV show now. Yes, they do. And apparently, for those that enjoyed Evangelion, Love, Death, and Robots, <laughs> <laughs> JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> what, what's what's this one? Sifredi, uh, Sifredi. That's... Uh, the one next to Love, Death, and Robots. That's the one. I have no idea. It wouldn't even do a... Um, you know when you hover over it and it shows you like a few seconds worth? Yeah. It didn't let me do that. So uh, I'm guessing mature content. <laughs> um, but... but um, oh. uh, what what point was I going to make? Um, I can segue off onto something else. Uh, so uh, you were going to say something, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just literally going to say you were right about it being a rabbit hole because this Sylvanian family does go even deeper. I feel... So we may need to explore this further and uh, and see if this this TV show does indeed have the answers to if the Sylvanian families are indeed from Transylvania, um, <laughs> which which was how this in- entire thing got blown open to begin with. <laughs> and speaking of uh, very bizarre but very apt search results, I've just popped another one in the Discord. Um, Irreversible, the uh, Gaspar Noen film, which is just that's an experience. <laughs> do you know much about irreversible not a thing um it's it's the type of film that only <laughs> god forgives uh would allow um a horrible rape revenge film that is utterly uncompromising and according to amazon these are the movies that come up as recommended and related <laughs> so given all the controversy around woman wonder woman 84 and the fact that she's now she's a rapist. Um, I don't know whether you've followed much of the uh, the news and uh, retaliation on Wonder Woman 84, but she's basically a rapist now. Um, and it just made me chuckle more than Bolt and Chicken Little that that would be the first film that it recommends related yeah. to Irreversible. Um, is it to do with the fact that Bolt and Chicken Little are essentially horror films with how terrible they are? Is that... Uh, oh, is that... it's not terrible. It's, it's perfect fluff to distract you for a hundred minutes i'm gonna chicken little however is god awful i'm gonna cut it to where you say it's is perfect and i'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna Bolt use is the perfect movie <laughs> <laughs> gonna use you that against you in future <laughs> it's a citizen cane of animated features <laughs> and dog movies <laughs> uh, what are the dog movies are there that you could say uh, all dogs you... go to heaven a dog's life 101 Dalmatians, the live-action 101 Dalmatians, the 101 Dalmatians cartoon series on uh, Disney. Homeward Bound? The 101 Homeward Bound, 1 through 28. The Beethoven movies, Beethoven. Cujo. Yes, yeah. Uh, uh, I was Balto. Thinking... <laughs> i got a million of them, Dan, I can keep going. <laughs> Literally, the only one I could think of was Homeward Bound, and that has a cat in, so... Uh, <laughs> and I'm yeah, it was. I, I felt as though I, I, <laughs> I failed because it has a cat in it. Um, what's the what's <laughs> it the bolt. what's the one that oh does it well then definitely cheating what's the one that Toby Maguire was in um, Wishbone for, no that was a TV show for some reason um, it, we watched it all the time as kids and no I don't want his wiki I want IMDb we watched it all the time as kids uh, are we talking about the royal we or uh, sorry no in this in you and your in, symbiote in my in my family. <laughs> 
cats and dogs. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> that had Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> what's a film with dogs in? What's a film with cats and dogs in? Cats and dogs. <laughs> but I can't name a film with cats in it because that would be cheating. <laughs> um, cats and dogs. Uh, did it have? Oh, Jeff Goldblum was in he the dad. Yeah, had Alec Baldwin in as well. My God, Alec Baldwin as Butch, Tobey Maguire as Lou, Jeff Goldblum as Professor Brody, Elizabeth Perkins. Um, and then I don't recognise any of those other names. Did you hear that um, Alec Baldwin is um, set to star in a sitcom with Kelsey Grammer? No, I had not heard this. Yeah, I apparently they've not said any more than that, but that sounds like it could be um, pretty good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they react on set because I think Kelsey Grammer's a pretty... Um, staunch Republican, isn't he? And we all know how Alec Baldwin feels about Republicans. So, well, he used to be able to back in the uh, well, only so far as eight years ago, be able to get them both in the same room together. But because he was um, in Thirty Rock for three episodes, Kelsey Grammer's. Yeah, remember he he plays Kelsey Grammer, and they really play up to it. It's part of the Best Friends Club with Jenna oh, and Kevin. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they run no, scams. <laughs> I do remember that now. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just so much goodness on 30 Rock that it's, you, you know, inevitable that you'll forget some of it. Um, so you've been watching Dexter's Lab. Have you watching Dexter's Lab or just investigating it? Yeah, just Enjoying investigating. It. Unfortunately, I can only sort of find clips and really poor quality episodes that are broken up into three segments on YouTube. So it's been... A bit of a frustrating one, but you know, I persisted as as long as I could. Have they got a Dexter's Lab DVD collection or anything? Um, um, if they did, it would be an American one they released years ago. There's Dexter's Lab season one on Amazon. Um, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's a official release. And Dexter's Lab, the complete series, January 2017. Uh, but that's just America, I think. Which uh, cool, yeah. Let me. Well, I've got a multi-region DVD player. Let's see. This is what makes this show Complete so special. Experiment. You just Ooh. look into things on the flying. Waste all of your time. Um, ba 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 ba. Edit season two, but it's <laughs> not available to purchase. Right. Okay, I'll let you look into yeah, that. And I was looking for that earlier as well. You know, that was the longest-running Cartoon Network season, just because of the. Uh, the sheer length of time it sort of spanned over i think i did um and it always surprised me mm. i i'm surprised to see that it's constantly rated as the most beloved as well um, yeah it's really bizarre i was doing some reading on it earlier um just about the thought processes into you know, the tone the writing the the artistic style um it was a love letter to the cartoons of the 1930s and 50s which is pretty cool mm mm um, I just clicked on Dexter Complete Season 1 to 8 and it's the completely wrong Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Different. I was always really disappointed that Dexter wasn't just live-action Dexter. <laughs> uh, Where Didi finally drove him to uh, sociopath tendencies. I mean, that could have been the case because there's, a, there's definitely a line of thinking to say that... Uh, um, what's the 
guy's name who plays Dexter? Michael C. Scott or something? Is that right? That might be completely wrong. Oh, I can... uh, but the, the guy who plays that, uh, Dexter... Just a moment. Uh, you, you could see him. Michael, as C. A... Michael C. Scott. Hello? Now, Michael Scott's from The Office. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, you're there, yeah. Ah, good. Who, who is it? Uh, Michael Hall. Michael Hall. Michael Scott was from The Office. <laughs> right, okay. Well, I, I watched neither of those shows, so... <gasps> Scandal. I know. Uh, the, I never got on with the British version, so... I mean, it's fine, it's good, it's okay. I just didn't, you know... Yeah, I don't... I, I don't yeah, you until I'd worked in an office environment, and then it was like, oh my god, this is so true. I just don't really do cringe humour, I think. Mm. Uh, the only time that cringe humour ever really made me laugh um, in as an adult was probably Borat. Uh, when we went to see Borat, um, just because that was unlike anything, really. It's just one thing after another. And uh, Oh my God, you can't do that. You can't say that. I think I used to enjoy Trigger Happy TV as a kid. Um, but that wears thin very quickly, I think. When you go back now and watch it, it's uh it has its moments um I, i've just noticed how much i'm lagging on the screen so uh, if my time is completely off then uh, i apologize that's okay um i, I always remember the <laughs> the one <laughs> the one uh, clip from trigger happy tv that i think of all the time um and i have no idea why is ski school you remember ski school i don't okay let me see if i can find it <laughs> Let's see if we can find another reason to get copyright struck this week. Yeah, uh, they are really savvy about that. They've still not released seasons um, two and three. I think maybe even season one got limited release and heavily butchered because of the music rights. Oh, really? Oh, God. Oh, God. Same with Monkey Dust, which is just one of the all-time really great... Who was it? I think it was... Uh, it wasn't Charlie Brooker. It was um, someone else from Charlie Brooker's School of Comedy where horrendously offensive, dark, anti-political cartoon uh, stylings um, were, were in vogue. And uh, because of copyright laws for the music, a lot of it has never been released. But that was a great series. I mean, that's it happens more and more, really, doesn't it? I mean, that's why we never, um, up until only recently, got remakes of uh, video games, like Tony Hawk and stuff like that. They were... Uh... Stuck behind the copyright Crazy Taxi. They had to completely uh, bleed oh, out the wow. Crazy Taxi soundtrack for that reason. Uh, let me play this. I don't know if it's any good. The uh, It looks like it's just been recorded off a TV with <laughs> a mobile phone. So this might not even be funny. But this is uh, what I always think of uh, for Tree Happy TV. Ski school. Ski school. I just realised that you wouldn't have been able to see any of that, will you? Because you're completely out of the loop. Oh yeah, the the lag is so terrible. It's only just started playing a few seconds ago. Oh, I see. I'll uh, I'll try and get it. You have to watch it back after the show. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, I mean, I'm I'm watching it without sound, but uh, <laughs> I'm using my imagination <laughs> to fill in the blanks. <laughs> and, and well, I suppose I'll fill it in for those listening on the audio version as well. He's so he's bandaged up. Um, terribly injured <laughs> and traumatized. Just watches everyone going by and says, Ski school. <laughs> Ski school. <laughs> uh, but far funnier than that. I'm not a comedian. Um, right. I don't know. You give me the belly laughs at times. Oh, well, you know. 
<sighs> it could just be gas, but what are my doctors know? <laughs> Do you want to start us off this week or with um, what you've been watching, or is Dexter your contribution? Oh, oh well, I finished, and it only took three years, Persona 5. We need a klaxon. Um, yeah, I I started playing that game in 2018, the spring of 2018. Took a long hiatus, got back to it in the summer of 2019. And then because what happened with 2020, no one knows. Um, uh, that was just a black hole of time in which Gasly I didn't do Persona. It, it was a, a gaslit year. Um, but yeah, I, I went home for Mother's Day and just decided to uh, to honor my mother by spending all my time alone <laughs> in the basement finishing what i thought was the last hour of persona 5 um and it turned out that uh, no <laughs> there were two solid days left of content wow. um this game just keeps going and, and royale expands it by probably about an extra fifth of the game length it's i think i clocked in at 96 hours for my first first playthrough um and uh oh it's good yeah you're really gonna like it dan it's jrpg pokemon style um with you know heavy rock rifts it's got a great soundtrack uh the the battle mechanics are absolutely fantastic it really is a sensationally good game with appallingly bad dialogue i don't care what anyone says to defend this game it is everything that is wrong with japanese or anime melodrama (laughs) <laughs> and it's painfully on the nose. You know, every character explaining how they feel. Um, and my particular favourite, when uh, a character goes, let me explain, and then it cuts to black, and then it cuts to, like, all the characters assembled, and it's post the conversation, and they go, I see. So, and then they tell you the very same conversation that they could have just told us to begin with. <laughs> but we have to show that they understood the conversation. That's my only way of understanding why they do it this way. Um, oh, yeah, I had to hit the fast forward button and then just watch the the dialogue spin by at 100 miles an hour with all the characters chipping in their two cents worth. But uh, oh, it's, it's so good. It's an absolutely wonderfully addictive game. So it is as good as, as people say then, because people like, you know, uh, just put this game on a pedestal, really. Uh yeah, I mean I'm I'm no massive fan of JRPGs and you know, I kept going back to it. I've plowed nearly a hundred hours into it and uh, I'm gonna throw the Royale edition on just to mm. crack it up to about hundred and twenty hours. So of course. yeah, it's it's absolutely sensational. I don't think I may be wrong, but I don't think you can just jump into the Royale edition from where you are. Are you aware of that? No, it's it's a whole new game. You've yeah. got to start the entire thing over again. Mm. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, I mean, the annoying thing is that there's a new game plus mode on the present one, which I sort of want to carry over, but all your stats set back to zero. You don't really get that much for it, but there's one or two. How's it a new game plus mode then, in that case? I think uh. you get, if you manage to complete everybody's... Um, well, once you've sort of maxed out a confidence and play it all the way through to the end of the game, you get an item, right. um, and that item carries on over. And I think once you've got all the items, it, it gives you a trophy. Okay. Jeez. Oh, wow. But it's all about time balancing. And I, you know, I, I sort of approached it slightly late in and, and then started trying to like rebalance things and pay attention to certain characters. But 
even knowing how the story works and how the mechanics of the game work, I still think it would take me about three playthroughs to get all the characters maxed out. Yeah. Um, uh, is there is it like a romance option? Yeah, there's uh, at least two that I'm aware of. Um, I went with the girl at the back in the leather. Um, the um, what? What's the term for it? Sort of the um, the prefect girl. I just right. really liked her personality. The, in, I liked her persona. In the middle, that one? Uh, let's see. Uh, there's the girl with the hat and the sort of pink dandy clothes and the one next to her yeah. with the sort of brown bowl cut. She was my favourite. The one I'm trying not to feel up with this hand icon. That's that <laughs> one. Which is an inappropriate <laughs> hand icon that's appeared out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, even though I haven't played the game, I've always gravitated towards... Um, there I've forgotten a name. Is it Anna, or something? Uh, the red, uh, the red latex blonde one. Yeah, you picked a phenomenal image, by the way. Let me. Just... Yeah, it's. I mean, there's no bad image of this game. All the publicity art is is top tier stuff. Incredibly sexy anime girls. I do like Anne. She's a a very well. She looks like Catherine for a start. Um, she's a great character, but she felt more like um, Ryuji, the uh, the blonde guy with the yellow gloves. They were sort of hunting at a. Uh, a potential for him to romance and I thought you know what he's my best friend I'm going to back <laughs> off let him have a shot but the game doesn't feel the same way so it's like oh I've got to turn Anne down but that's fine I like my, my hall monitor <laughs> <laughs> so, she wears biker leathers and, and has nuclear attacks what's not to like oh, and wow. a sister's a cop so I can use connections <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting um, Persona 5 the regular edition according to psnprofiles.com um Difficulty 3 out of 10 to get the Platinum. Playthroughs 2. 140 hours to get the Plat. Uh, did you, you said you're on 90 at the minute. Uh, yeah, about 96. Persona 5 Royale. Difficulty 2 out of 10. Playthroughs 1. Hours 120. So the Royale edition, for some whatever reason, shaves off a difficulty point, shaves off a playthrough... And shaves off 30 hours to get the Platinum. I think that could just be the amount of time that you spend trying to level up characters. Mm. You've got to spend um, essentially three interactions on them each to get to the next like buff point. So you've got to essentially hang out with each one upwards of 30 times right. um, originally to, you know, max them out. But then you've also got, to, you've got your own stats to consider, and that's a, a five-point system. And each one of them never tells you how much closer you are to achieving the next one. So you've got five different stats, each one with, I think, five levels you've got to climb up and no way of telling at what point it's going to leap into the next one. Um, so I would imagine they've probably lowered the amount of time you need to spend on each one of them. It's the only explanation I can think of. Well, if there's only one playthrough, then it sounds as though you don't need to go through New Game Plus for any trophies as, as well. I don't know if that's something... Uh, in the original that you need to do. Or it could just be that everyone that bought the Royale edition are like hardcore Persona 5 original fans. Yeah. <laughs> and they knew exactly how to do it and just, you know, like a like a whippet, went straight for the, the key points. Apparently there's a true ending. Is that the ending you got, do you know? Oh, I wish. No, you've got a you've got a max stats absolutely everybody to do that. And I only got... Uh, well, of all the characters there, only one of them uh, I managed to max out, and that's because I romanced her. Um, 
but all the sort of sub, uh, the subsidiary characters that bolster your own personal attack power that aren't part of your, your core team. You've got to maintain your relationships with them as well. Um, so all but one of those I managed to... Uh, no, uh, two, the Doctor, I forgot the Doctor. All but two I managed to get to the top stats, but my team was lacking. And, uh, and so, yeah, I didn't get the true ending. Oh, it's unfortunate. Maybe one day. Yeah. Um, I also have PlayStation News to update Ooh. on this week. So finally got the Doom plan, which is Hooray. yay. And uh, that was fine. Um, <laughs> the two trophies that I was missing were online multiplayer trophies. And the problem with that is that there's no one <laughs> on the <laughs> multiplayer anymore. So I, I, literally, I, I spent longer waiting in lobbies for people to to join parties to um, start these games up than it did to actually get the <laughs> get the trophies when I was actually playing. But that's done. Uh, no interest at the minute in getting the 100% because that just seems far more investment than I'm willing to make at the minute. Um, mm. For I think if if I were it to be, um, it'd have to be, uh, what do they call it? Um, I have to get like a number of people in on purpose, you know, and, and sort of grind. Oh, them. Ooh, yeah, uh, that's just a tall order. Yeah, I don't know mm. people, so you know. Uh, so <laughs> so that's good news, uh, number one. And then the um, second thing is that, um. So one of the podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis is a PlayStation podcast called uh, Sacred Symbols, which is like, I, th I think it's like the number one video game podcast in the world or something from uh, the Patreon, or certainly on Patreon from the amount of money that they earn. And um, I think last year uh, they expanded into making their own games and um, it was on sale recently. It was only like £4.50 or something. So I figured... Oh, you know what, I will try that. And it's called Twin Breakers. Um, and this is just, I think... Isabel. Yeah, this is from PS4 Trophies, just giving full credit to the video that I'm going to use. And it's not... Um, it's a Brick Breaker game, so I don't know if you've ever heard of Brick Breakers, but it's essentially uh, a combination of Space Invaders and Pong, if you <laughs> if you think about it that way. You've got to... Well, it'll, okay. it'll show you in a second. Let me get through this. Um, so you start with a ball and you knock it into those blocks. And then you need to get rid of the blocks one by one until the level finishes. So it's, it's very simple. It's very arcade. It's, it's like an Atari game, essentially. Um, there's no... It's done, in, it's done in pixel art style. There's nothing particularly next, you know, 20, uh, 2021 about it. Um it's very simple, and it's supposed to be very simple, but it's got some good modes, and it kind of um, tries to diversify itself from the mundaneness of the gameplay with a story, um, which is essentially just a carbon copy of Interstellar. <laughs> <It's> a... <laughs> oh, it can't be that bad, surely. <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily mean it as a as a as a slight on. Um, there's a slight on Interstellar or the game, but that, it, it literally just kind of is. It's about these uh, pilots that um, it's about a couple hundred years into the future, and uh, humanity tries to explore space, and it does so in a way that happens very similarly in 
uh, interstellar where they send you know crafts out and then they just disappear and then one reappears and sends like a message of this uh, wormhole and so it's pretty much one for one up until that point and um, and so these little two things at, at the bottom which you can control with each thumbstick so your, your left thumbstick is the one on the left and your right is the one on the right and um, and so each one of those represents uh, one of the spaceships that uh, that go through this black hole there too and you got Chris on the left uh, sorry um, Colin on the left and Chris on the right and and yeah so that's kind of the setup for the story and that's kind of the game and I started playing it and um, I initially got bored <laughs> and I was thinking, well, it's quite fun for 20 minutes, um, but I can't imagine um, playing it for much longer than that at a time. I thought it'd be good, you know, if I've got nothing to do, just pick it up, whack a few levels out. There are 40 levels and um, play 20 minutes at a time and just go through it that way. And the good thing about this game is with the trophies, the trophies are really organic. There's nothing ridiculously out of the way that you have to do. Um, you just play the game and they pop up, which is really quite nice and refreshing. And you can tell that Colin, who um, uh, the host of Sacred Symbols that, that um, wrote the game and wrote the trophies, is a trophy hunter because you know the, the, there's nothing better than those type of trophies in it where you play the game rather than if you look at something yeah. stupid like uncharted where you've got to roll simulator. roll fire punch roll fire mm. punch and do that 20 times or whatever it is in uncharted um and yeah so the first session i played for 20 minutes and thought okay yeah it's all right whatever and then the very next day i tried it and what was initially supposed to be just 10 minutes while I had nothing to do took into, uh, turned into a few hours. And I actually became quite, um, not obsessed, but, you know, really wanting just to carry on and play this game because it's, it's very Moorish. Uh, once you get into the flow of, 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 of this, um, this little simplistic gameplay. And as I say, it's very similar to Pong and very similar to Space Invaders. And if you've played those games, you know how they can be addictive. Uh, just the simplicity of it and uh, constantly getting better and stuff. Where it falls down, which I was surprised, is actually the story. Because that's something that I thought would be um, pretty good. Uh, because um, just with how... Uh, Colin talks about things on the podcast. He seems to have mm -hmm. a good nous for what makes a good story and all that type of thing. But um, it really is quite boring. <laughs> and I feel, yeah, I feel a bit gutted to say that because uh, uh, I am a devout listener of their show. And, uh, you know, th there's that feeling of, oh, God, if this gets back to <laughs> you just feel you a bit... You could say the same thing about Red Letter Media and uh, and Space Cop. You know, those, those guys know yeah. how they criticize the film and do it entertainingly but when it came to making their own films they acknowledged themselves how absolutely awful their material's been yeah um, and yeah and this is this is very similar i was really disappointed in just how mundane it is for something that uh, i think i was expecting a little bit more of the the story is very simple it doesn't really go anywhere but the the worst part about it is the dialogue and it, it is so stilted and robotic and uh, I've had my head in my hands a few, without wanting to be a snob about dialogue and things. 
had my head in my hands a few times. Um, just with the like, oh god, what is this? Um, where you can tell when someone isn't really paying attention to how dialogue in in film or naturalistic dialogue in films and movies works because there are so many unnatural breaks in the conversation and um a couple of times like so there's this instance where uh the two pilots are flying through space and they get a uh like a message from this anonymous source and the anonymous source starts and it starts you know um expositioning about the current situation about things and then in the middle of this exposition for no reason um uh one of the pilots doesn't really matter which says something like wow this is so strange and then the other one will go yes i agree let's listen more let's carry on listening <laughs> it's like what is the point of this <laughs> is it like the uh when mr burns takes over all the tv stations in springfield and they even have that sitcom yeah, yeah, Smithers, exactly. I'm home. <laughs> what already? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a perfect. Uh, yeah, it is exactly like that. And I'm just reading it, thinking, just let this. I, I can understand, you know, as a writer, seeing a big wall of text and thinking, "Wow, I need something to break this up because you, people's attention spans. Maybe you need to break up a big flow of text so you don't um, overwhelm people." Um, but even as someone that wasn't particularly interested in where the story was going, it's just like, I just want to read what the, what the, you know, what this anonymous mm. thing's got to say and to break it up with, with, um, with just nonsense. And it consistently throughout the game is just really robotic, uh, dialogue that adds absolutely nothing except for, you know, it becomes three times longer than it needs to be because you've got really pointless dialogue. And if I were to give, um, one bit of criticism, one bit of advice is uh, to, um, because they're starting to produce more games now, and um, it would be to uh, maybe get like a professional to look over the dialogue, or just to, you know, someone to sharpen it up a little bit because it is so stilted and robotic and unnatural, and it's uh, you know it's a shame. The gameplay is great if you, once you get in the mood of the gameplay, it is uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun. And Just so, look at yeah, so we got the uh, so this so you do this for about ten levels, and then it switches it up, and it then goes. If this loads, come on, load me, and then it goes left to right. If you noticed, so from using your thumbsticks to go, da 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 da, you, you then it it changes <laughs> it to go up and down, but even better than that, which sort of blew my mind, is. Um, like two thirds through the game, then you have to take both sides, and not only Ooh. is it not only is it up and down, it's left and right, and it that is a madness. real it's a real mind f. It really is. It, you <laughs> you feel as though you're uh, learning to play the piano. If you think about how you play in the piano, and you've yeah. got to use one That's hand exactly what playing and then, the piano is, like. and then two hands, and it's it's the same thing as your brain's trying to figure out, uh, you know, right hand, right right mm. thumb, up down. And it's it's so infuriating, but it's really satisfying once you get it. And I was yeah. really uh, impressed with that switch. As I say, it comes about halfway, two thirds of the way through the uh, through the main uh, game, and it's it's little fun little things like that that, that keep you playing, mm. or get really aggravated and you don't know, you throw your controller through the wall. 
How are you um, talking about language? Yeah, exactly. The burnout incident. Um, <laughs> and Lego Star Wars. <laughs> Lego Star and every Wars. other game. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, the gameplay is a lot of fun. Um, if you are into that type of thing, uh, simple, simplistic, you know, old school arcade type. Mm. Easy to learn, difficult to master. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Um, the story's naff. Uh, but it's also got a lot of uh, separate modes as well that are a lot of fun. You've got like a boss rush and something called hockey mode, which is it's like air hockey. You're essentially doing this, but it's it's you against uh, you against like a a boss or something. Um, so for like you know if it's on sale, I got it as I say four pound fifty something like that. Um, it's uh, really worthwhile checking out if you if you think that uh, this is down your street. So yeah, that's my. Little review of Twin Breakers, a simplistic but uh, highly enjoyable uh, brick breaker game. Very nice. So, yeah, that's um, Doom, Twin Breakers, mainly what I've been up to this week. Um, as something else that is just. Oh, no, don't go there. Go that side. Um, just to jump into something, you have bits and pieces of news, did you say, that you wanted to? talk about this week yeah things have been happening uh one of them i'll tie into the fan fiction thursday that's later cool just something that i wanted to jump into very quickly before you go into no that's fine news and stuff is um so last week was robot week and we spoke about robocop and terminator i thought it'd be really fun uh just on the back of that to have a look into every 80s movie that turned into a saturday morning cartoon uh, because uh, this this was done a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was really perfect timing, and um, just uh, just a few memories to uh, to look back on. Um, did you ever, Ewoks first up? Did you ever see Ewoks? Obviously, from... I never saw it, but I was like all Star Wars fans aware of it. Yeah, nineteen eighty five, and uh, that was before I was born and before you were born. So, and I think it was brushed into the carpet pretty quickly. So there's no yeah. chance of. Of us ever seeing that. I mean, even Droids is more well known <laughs> and better received than the Ewoks. I never saw Droids either. Um, for for some reason, like the holiday special and uh, and the cartoon shows, I if I know that they had a terrible reputation, I stayed away from them because I didn't want you know my vision of <laughs> Star Wars to be crushed like it has done since the prequels were released. <laughs> what about the live action, the two live action Ewok movies? <laughs> well, they were they were classics. They were great. So of course, I oh yeah. Those. I mean, it just they defined an age. Which mm. <laughs> I just went rent one once. Mara, do you remember when petrol stations used to have also like video rental? The nineties yeah. was a weird yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, they uh, they had a copy in there, but it was either so worn out from rewatching, or just maybe it was the quality of the film itself. But it just played nothing but static. Um, <laughs> so we returned it. <laughs> And that's as far as I ever got to watching it. <laughs> that's almost a shame. Um, Teen Wolf is another one. <laughs> uh, do you have any history with Teen Wolf? I don't even think. No. I don't think I've even seen the film. I know the. No, I. I like vamp- uh, werewolf movies, but um, I've never watched Teen Wolf. Like werewolf movies, like Michael J. Fox. I've never seen Teen but Wolf. It's like an anti Venn diagram. Yeah. And high school movies, of course. 80s high school movies. 
Mm. Uh, the second one had um, what's his face, Arrested Development. Oh, oh, uh, Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman. Yeah, mm. I remembered. Um, Rambo. So th- this, this falls in with our conversation about <laughs> ultra-violent movies from the 80s being re-geared towards <laughs> kids, really. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> although I never saw any Rambo action figures, did you? Um, I think we did because we we had a few Terminator ones. And they weren't as widely circulated, but um, I spent a lot of my teen years tracking around the memorabilia shows before Comic-Con sort of bought out the, the license and changed things up. But uh, yeah, I saw quite a few of the Rambo toys about uh, 10 years after the fact. Oh, cool. Scattered around the Birmingham MCM. Uh, that's worth looking into. I've never, I've never seen them. Real Ghostbusters, um, which you've got, yeah. is, is an all-time classic. I, I don't, you've not been a fan of the Ghostbusters, so I don't know if you had any history with the real <laughs> Ghostbusters. My my history with the Ghostbusters was uh, I grew up watching the extreme Ghostbusters oh, and thinking, no. these these are my guys. Um, but only because I really liked the monster designs. They were the same studio that did the Godzilla series and the, the Men in Black series. And they could do really, really good ghost and monster designs. So I didn't give a crap about the cast, but they facilitated my means of getting <laughs> monsters. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I think Extreme Ghostbusters was past my time anyway, but uh, the real Ghostbusters, man, for 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 me was, uh, and for a lot of kids at my school, it was just, oh, it was it was the shit. Um, <laughs> uh, it, we knew the real Ghostbusters even before the actual Ghostbusters, I think, and it was on for five really? years. Yeah, 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 huh. yeah. These wow. these were how um, I and my friends initially saw those characters, and then it was only, mm. you know. In, in later years, you realise, oh, it's a it's a film. Uh, and I tight... really don't like the design. Uh, Egon, I really hate the design of Egon, and I don't like the baby blue jumpsuit for uh, uh, Ernie Hudson. Is it that to me is just n- nostalgia all over? And I can mm. I can see why you'd say that, but to me that's just the 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 eighties in uh, yeah. in a in, in a picture. That's like you know my my early <laughs> early years. Um, but tying onto that. Um, Hasbro are re-releasing the Ghostbusters 80s uh, action figures, which is... Which is awesome, because it... I own that toilet one. I have the original have toilet. One? Yeah, I've oh, got the toilet wow. and the grandma. <laughs> <laughs> because how many, how many times has anyone do. ever said that sentence before in the history of the world? <laughs> I have the toilet and the grandma. I have the toilet and the grandma. We have the title <laughs> for this week's episode. <laughs> And so I'm going to click on these. I don't think they've got an Egon, which is devastating. On on Zabby, anyway, this is um, the only place I've seen them. Uh, but this... Uh, hmm. I mean... Ooh, the Ecton 2. That is just... Oh, that is... Yes. Yeah, that is one of the toys of the 90s. Well, yeah. the 80s, 90s. That's what all kids my age wanted. Uh, Ecto 1, it is. And... Um, I, I love how it's in the vintage box. Uh, mm-hmm. That is just, yeah. And so they've also released the re-released the action figures, and they look great. They really do look good. Huh. Um, and uh, I, sorry, I was going to say this is almost uh, the good trade-off for a lot of our uh, beloved childhood franchises are being destroyed in remakes, sequels, and and all that jazz. But we are getting 
the toys themselves directly sold back to us. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's almost a fair trade-off. <laughs> that's very true. I remember, um, I think I've spoken about him before, but there was this kid in, uh, in, in our class who had everything. His parents were doctors. They were loaded. And you go over to his house and he had everything you could ever wish for. And uh, he had all the Ghostbusters. I never had the Ghostbusters figures for some reason. But um, he, his, his house was where we'd go and play with them. And and this um, <laughs> this Proton Pack, this, <laughs> this ridiculously long little squishy um, bit of plasma thing. What's it called? I can't remember. Um, is, uh, oh, God. Is, is intrinsically linked to to his house. It's strange how you, how your brain works in such a way, but that's all I think of when I see this little proton pack is uh, is his house and being surrounded by Power Rangers and just any other thing you could wish for. Uh, and so, yeah, you've got Ray, who... Ray's, Ray's the strangest design, I think, out of all of them, because he <laughs> looks <laughs> nothing at all like Dan Aykroyd. Um, I don't know. I think he, Dan Aykroyd was always the chubbiest of the... But that, four of them, that so. just seems to be what they've gone for. They've gone for chubby. It looks more like Sean Astin. <laughs> that I was looks... going to say Samuel Gamgee, yeah. Yeah, it looks more like Sean Astin from, <laughs> not even from Lord of the Rings, like from Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> the head of a leprechaun, the body of uh, Rose Tico. <laughs> <laughs> um, Winston. And has they released the... Pro... Okay, so they haven't released the Proton Pack, but they've release the uh ghost popper blaster uh they need to release a proton pack that's all i'll say maybe maybe it's going to be in like series you know season one is boston ray and um bill murray um just playing bill murray isn't he um and and one ghost and then next time we'll get uh egon and maybe um is it janelle janine 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 um and uh, and co and slimer as uh, he's notorious by uh, by his absence isn't he yeah and he was a big part of the mm. um of the real ghostbusters tv show as well so unless yeah. he planned to release him separately um but he uh, can't not have a slimer i mean even extreme ghostbusters poured him over as the main mascot of the show yeah yeah um yeah venkman stance zedemore and spangler are the Ghostbusters Spangler? 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 Egon Spangler? Egon. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yeah. I I know my Ghostbusters. You know, over over the summer, he uh, he had part of a slinky and he straightened it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you Ghostbusters, you just don't like it. I I like Ghostbusters perfectly fine. It just, I was always more of a Gremlins kid. Well, you don't need to choose between one one or the other. Yes, you do, Dan. You need to be <laughs> DC or Marvel, Gremlins or Ghostbusters, <laughs> Christmas or Halloween. You've got to be one of them. Uh, so very quickly moving on. Uh, Robocop is another one. I've never seen the kids' Robocop series. Is, that almost it? looks anime-esque, doesn't it? It does. It looks way ahead of its time, actually. Mm. Um, aired from October 88 to December 88, so that's how successful that was. <laughs> About as long-running as Skeleton Warriors. <laughs> uh Beetlejuice I remember which had an awesome theme tune. Yeah, I am stunned to see that it was 89 to 91 because for some reason I remember it being it was definitely aired later than that. And if you've seen it then I imagine it was was it Fox Kids? Mm. 
Um, I th- it came to Nickelodeon. It might have originally been Fox Kids, but it ended up on Cartoon Network. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I might be wrong then. Um, but yeah, that uh, I'm, I was really surprised. Spending ninety four episodes over four seasons, eighty nine to ninety one. <laughs> um, yeah, Karate Kid. Yeah, whatever. I don't know anything about it. Thirteen episodes. Film's fine. <laughs> oh well, I mean the the film series is just you know classic eighties schlock. Um, it's just yeah, g- great trilogy in that kind of eighties, you know, um, cheesy kind of thing way. You know, uh, Kid protagonist cheesy eighties movies. Yeah, and a Japanese guy, um, but only thirteen <laughs> episodes. Uh, never even knew it existed. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's a great idea for a show. Did you never see it? No. It was only until I saw this that I remembered that it that it was a thing, and it was. It was really good. That might just be my uh, five year old brain saying that, but I remember it being really, really good. And uh, two season show, twenty one episodes, and <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Uncanny likeness of Keanu Reeves. The animation style, from what I remember, it it was really fun. I think, and like you say, it it, it had the uh, whimsical feel of the films, and it didn't really take itself too seriously. And <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, Toxic did Crusaders. You see the new, uh... Sorry, just as a brief no, aside, yeah. did you see the uh, the new movie? Apparently, it was terrible, so I stayed away from it. Oh, I hear conflicting things. I think just because we had a, a drought of anything good, um, people gravitated towards it. Mm. But um, yeah, I've heard mixed things. Maybe maybe terrible's too strong a word. I heard it was disappointing. Yeah. And <laughs> most specifically was Keanu Reeves, which I did not expect. But apparently mm. he's just got no enthusiasm for it and really struggles with the role. Um which really Strange. surprised me. But yeah. Apparently that's that's the most uh that I've heard in regards to the criticisms are with Keanu Reeves. Um, the Toxic Crusaders is. <laughs> did Did you see this animated show? I didn't see the uh, the animated show, but I uh, I saw the Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I, <laughs> of all the shows. Yeah, I, the thing is, I remember Toxic Crusaders. I remember watching it, and it was only uh, years later that I found out it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was based this... on a trauma original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it was. It was based on this. Uh, um, what what would you call it? It's like a, um, I was going to say a gross out, but it's not really gross uh, out. It's like it, a... it's it's a typical trauma film. So it's it's over the top satirical. It's like Paul Verhoeven, but a lot more tongue in cheek. Yeah, but also dialed up even further on the can we get this past eleven meter? Yeah, it's it's well, it's very adult, isn't it? I think it's mm, it's very adult, over sexualized, over violent, but um, it's almost a children's level script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that was a kids' TV show, and I remember it being a video game as well. I'm renting the video game. Uh, Back to the Future, the animated series. I can't remember that. Yeah, that only had about thirteen episodes or so. That didn't run too long. Uh, two seasons. Oh, more than I thought. Mm. Conan. Uh, yep, that makes sense. Highlander. The Barbarian or the TV show host? <laughs> they they really need to be have their own uh, spin-off adventure series, I think, don't they? Conan, uh, 
Conan O'Brien. Conan the Barbarians. Conan, 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 Conan the O'Brien. <laughs> the the O'Barbarian? I, I don't know. Uh, there's a title in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, we'll think of it later. Highlander. Uh, do you mm-hmm. remember the Highlander series? I do, yeah. yeah. There can only be one. And several sequels. And an animated <laughs> series. And a reboot that's happening. Police Academy? You remember that TV show? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems perfectly fit for it because they were always live action cartoons anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. T. I don't remember that one. And that's all. <laughs> um, what about, um, th- well, they weren't based on adult properties, but the uh, the Hulk Hogan show. Oh, yes. I yeah. can't remember what it was called. It, it wasn't Hogan's Heroes. That was uh, <laughs> that was a comedy series from the uh, 50s. Um, Hogan's Rock which- and Wrestling. That's the one. That's yeah, the one. yeah. I remember a few episodes of that. Terrible. <laughs> and it's got a, it's got all the heroes and villains from I think eighties wrestling in it, doesn't it? So you've got. Uh, let's have a look. Let me see if I can bring it up. That's actually a great shout. Although it wasn't based on an eighties movie, so I think that's where. That's why that's not involved. You would have thought Vince McMahon, notorious money whore that he is would have tried to uh, profiteer from like an animated series based on all of his wrestling properties by this point. Uh, well, that's what this was, and I think it failed miserably. So yeah. um, <laughs> so you've got... Oh, my, my brain's gone. I, I recognise them. So you've got Iron Sheik, Freddie Piper, uh, da, 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 <laughs> Hogan, obviously. Um, I'm tempted to say that's Andre the Giant, but I'm not sure. Uh, if it's the Giant one, then probably. Yeah, it just, it just wasn't that... Wide. Mm. Uh, and then the I... Penguin <laughs> Burgess <laughs> Meredith's Penguin <laughs> um, but yeah so that was fun uh, right what's next what have you got for me uh, well in the uh, the discord I've posted an image and I sort of want to see your reaction to it my heart it always might... sinks when you say that I'm hoping it's news to you <gasps> if so Right. Oh, this is news to me. Let's bring this <laughs> it's hot off the presses. Hot off the presses for the people. Timothy Elephant may return as justifies Raylan Givens for new TV show. <gasps> Be still my heart. Wow, that is fantastic news. Yeah. Um, well, I think the running title at the moment, I think, is uh, Primal City. Also, um, a complete news spin-off from Justify then. Yeah, so far as I'm aware. Mm, okay. So, um, I didn't read anything more into it because there's nothing really to say. That this is just pretty much it. Um, yeah. But for uh, anyone who's a fan of Justified or just Timothy Oliphant in general, because who wouldn't be? Yeah. Uh, the man's an absolute delight. Um, yeah. Th- this is just good news all round. Um, even though Justified ended on a pitch perfect note, one of the few series that absolutely sticks the landing. It doesn't need a sequel. But do I want one? Yes. Do you want one? Yes. Then we're in accord. Everybody wants one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like you say. It's uh, Timothy Elephant can do no wrong, really. Even if even if the material's terrible, there's just something so charismatic and gravitating about him that you don't mind. You don't mind being in his presence because he's such a joy and um, a uh, disgustingly attractive man. Um, but we'll save that conversation. Uh, for so the, uh, 
the gay cast that we'll be doing later on. For, for the fan fiction section that I wrote personally. <laughs> <laughs> Timothy's Oliphantian penis. I remember you've been touting this one for a while now. <laughs> penis? Um, <laughs> Beats. <laughs> but that's great news. You never did you speak about Justified on the show, or was that just between us? I think it was before the show we started. Brought it up. Uh, yeah, we we've sort of skimmed over it a couple of times, and um, probably three or four times now. We've we've mentioned things about Justified. Um, I was watching a, a movie the other day called um, Booksmart, and it has I forget the name. The girl that we really want to play, Abby. I've forgotten the name. Mm. Yeah, we uh, were we were looking into. I forgot to turn my phone on silent. We were looking into it the other week, weren't we? Mm. Um, Abby, uh, Ellie, not Abby. Ellie, yes, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we need to get Hulk Hogan to play Abby. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or The Rock. I'd watch The Rock. He'd be charismatic enough. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, she was an absolute delight in Bookworms. The film's okay, but um, she elevates the material because it's like, yay, justified. <laughs> I really like her in everything I've seen her in. I think she's a fantastic actress. Mm. And uh, she is the spitting image of Ellie, which makes it even more of a disaster that she wasn't cast, really. Uh, again, like we said, the last time we talked about Justified, um, she could easily play the, the older version of Ellie, if that's where they're casting um, the series to go. Um, hey, is Caitlin Dever, of course, is her name. That's it, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm allowed to forget because I have name blindness, but uh, frankly, Dan, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, I totally should. And just trying to find a photo just for the record. She's very pretty as well. Stupidly attractive young lady. In a sort of girl next door sort of way as well. Not ridiculously over the top unobtainable beauty it's well she is at the same time but (laughs) which is completely out of my league but (laughs) i believe that someone i know could get her (laughs) (laughs) if she was on a dating app i'd swipe right and know that i wasn't going to get a a response but i'd be fine with that because i knew that she'd be slumming it if she did If you're like, oh, there's something wrong with her. She replies to me and it's like, no, 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 you're too good for me. <laughs> I have to decline your numerous re- replies. <laughs> uh, it is it is strange, though, when you, especially in this day and age, when you see um, young actresses, when they're younger, like she wasn't justified, she was only 15 or something like that. And then the next time you see them, they're fully grown. And you sort of feel dirty. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. But it's like when... Um... As, as me and my brother found out not too long ago, um, it's like, holy crap, Eminem's daughter, who we sung about, you know, when she was a toddler on 2002's The Eminem Show, is now, like, graduating college. And it's like, what the fuck? And you have to type it in and go, oh, my God, she actually, you know, she can form words now. Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone feels like that, though. You know, that listen to those Eminem albums? Cause he, mm. It's like, yeah. Yeah, Eminem, don't make me talk about my daughter, but I'm going to go and rap about it for 13 songs. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I was Take at, that machine gun, Kelly. <laughs> I was actually listening to Eminem the other day. It came up on my mm. Spotify playlist randomly, and um, you couldn't get away with those songs in this day and age. You just couldn't. <laughs> More's the pity. The death of music. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought that rapping about um, violence against women and 
hating the gays and all that kind of thing would I know. turn out to Just... not be very good. Bitches don't leave no more. Bitches don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Robocop reference for anyone that wasn't tuning in last week. For shame. <laughs> For shame. We, we, <laughs> I feel like we constantly gaslight our audiences. <laughs> like, why <laughs> why did you not pay attention to our Robocop review? And then at the same time, it's like, why are you paying attention to our Robocop review? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> We're trying to give them an identity crisis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we have one, so join the club. Uh, <laughs> Justified news. That was fantastic. What else have you got for me? Uh, let's see. What else? What else? What else? Um... This will tie into something later on, but um, <laughs> did you hear the latest Disney news? Oh, God. What, what could it possibly be now? They have decided... I shall post uh, something in the Discord. Bear with me one moment. And share. Um, they've decided to make a certain sci-fi franchise their new hot property, because Star Wars didn't do too well. So they're refocusing their efforts onto uh, something they know will be a big winner with families and kids and, and everything else. The hell is this? How the hell can I possibly go from Caitlin Dever to this image? This is. Just... <laughs> <laughs> this is I'm, I'm sorry, Caitlin. What is that? <laughs> uh, they are deciding that the Alien franchise is going to be their big new thing. Aliens are new Star Wars. We just we just never knew yeah. it. Uh, uh. I, I, I didn't even realize that Disney owned Alien. Well, they do now because it was owned Good. by Fox. Fox, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Alien, <sighs> Predator, anything else they can shoehorn? No, the thing is universal. Thank God, the thing is universal. Um, so yeah, they are going to focus on the uh, the Aliens, Predator expanded cinematic universe, family friendly PG thirteen. About everyone's favourite rape squids and scorpions and sexually abusive uh, alien creatures. Just... Remember when we were excited about the idea that Disney might purchase Fox because we get the Fantastic Four back in the <laughs> That's MCU. all we wanted. That's, That's that was... all we wanted. And look what's happened. <laughs> and look at the horrors that this has unleashed. <laughs> <laughs> why, why did we ever want this, Matt? Why did, why did we ever think that this would be a good idea? When, because when the, the MCU was going from strength to strength, and it was just a case of maybe, maybe now we can get a good Fantastic Four movie. It'll be worth it. But the Fantastic Four, <laughs> they were about to lose the F4 license anyway, I think, at that point. Mm -hmm. So it didn't even really make that much difference. As it turns out, we've lost a Deadpool movie that was going to be a, uh, a, a, uh, a buddy. Uh, I was going to say buddy cop. It's not a buddy cop. It's a, a road movie with Wolverine. Um, that was what Deadpool 3 was going to be. And now it's going to be... Um... No, that's... Okay, let's not get into the politics of it. But it's going to be significantly to the other way of what Deadpool has been so far. Uh... Well, did you hear the... Um... Do you remember when they did um, Twice Upon a Deadpool a few years ago, like the Christmas special? Mm -hmm. They re-edited Deadpool 2 to be PG-13. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of speculation that this was testing the waters to find out how much Deadpool you could take out of Deadpool before you stopped being Deadpool. Um, oh, is that, so the, that, that what that was yeah. supposed to be? Like, 
how much can we sort of take out of the gratuitous sex, violence, nudity, language until it doesn't feel like Deadpool anymore um, so that Disney can, you know, market it as part of their new franchising. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But despite all that, we're getting aliens. <laughs> Does anyone even care <laughs> about aliens anymore? Why? I tell you, here's, here's, a, here's a novel idea, Matt. Why don't they think up a brand new property to, you know, create this new Star Wars universe that's free of baggage? Why don't they employ someone with a creative mind? I don't know, maybe a Guillermo del Toro type. We'll be talking about him in, in a second. And they say, Guillermo, you have a very creative, imaginative mind. You've developed many creatures in your day. We would like you to go out and produce a space opera for us and populate it with the wildest creatures and the craziest stories you can find. Is that not a more sound idea than let's take aliens and Star Warsify it? Considering, it's... considering, considering that the Alien franchise is pretty much dead anyway. It doesn't, you're not going to attract money. You're not going to attract people into the cinema because of the Alien name. Sorry, Karen. Just too big of a risk. Um, do you remember what Bob Iger said about Star Wars? It was, um, we don't need to advertise it. Which was very true. You don't. Um, but he was looking at it in terms of it doesn't need good quality. People will see it regardless but you literally just need a black poster with Star Wars on it and people will come to it. It's brand recognition. It doesn't matter how tarnished the brand is. You don't have to spend... Well, it's unnecessary money anyway, but they don't have to spend exorbitant amounts of unnecessary money trying to promote something brand new when you can just say, Alien, you know what you're getting with it. We, we can ruin it in our own special way, um, but uh, you will promote the film for us in, you, in that regard. Do you know what four words I can say to you to counter that argument very succinctly and uh, uh, devastating screw Flanders over and over <laughs> that was five um, Guardians uh, of the uh, Galaxy yeah but they weren't completely they, uh, <clears throat> see the, the MCU is an interesting one because um, Paul Feige takes more credit for that than he actually deserves because the initial era of the MCU was shepherded by, um, you know, you, you Joss Whedon, um, Favreau, and to some extent Edgar Wright. Um, and then up until I think it was about Civil War, that's when Feige took like complete control. And that's why it's been steadily getting worse mm. um, because they've been pushing out all of the creatives that helped make it what it was you know they they formed the foundation that the the whole thing was built on um so um yeah guardians of the galaxy was in fairly good hands with with sean gunn and they were being more experimental and oh no yeah but my, my, those my, early my point is even comic book fans you know didn't know too much about the guardians of the galaxy so it's not even as though you could have sold that film to nerds because a lot of the nerds didn't even read that book my point is saying here's here's a franchise here's a here's a film a squad that uh had no prior history and it was just quality essentially i mean look at look at the lead if you look at uh <clears throat> chris um uh chris pine that's his name isn't it uh pratt. chris chris pratt chris chris pine's the other one 
Um, it's, it's, I'm very tired. Chris Pratt <laughs> um, only has Parks and Rec <clears throat> on his CV at that time for, you know, for star yeah. power. And I, I think, yeah, uh, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is really all you need. To... But it still had the, it was still part of the MCU. Yeah, yeah, they could still put the Marvel banner on, and you know there are still people out there that think that well, Venom and the the Amazing Spider-Man movies are part of the MCU because they just see Marvel on it and assume it's all part of the big picture. You show a trailer that's just got Marvel, and Pete, that was the gamble. Like that could potentially have failed, but so strong was Marvel at that point in terms of box office success that you just needed to put the the red banner with the white wording at the, the beginning of a trailer and most people would go okay yeah probably something but i'd argue that you only need to put the disney logo over the top of something and uh and people will flock to it you know if that's how you wanted to play the game Dis- disney's disney's something something or other and isn't that sort of the same thing I, I think it depends. Like, if it's a Disney animated film, yes. If it's a Disney live action film, not so much. Mm, we'll see. I think. I think if if they did it properly, if they actually had hired competent people, I think putting <laughs> Disney's, you know, if they were just throwing something completely out there, but taking a uh, something like the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, Disney, mm. the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, I think brings another level of. Um, uh, credibility, you know, to a lot of people. If, if if they'd be like, "Oh my God, it's Disney's take on this property," um, I think it might add a little something, whether or not it deserves it. But um, but there we go. We're going to move swiftly onwards. Sorry to break into that. It's all I'm, good. It's I'm all terrified good. of looking at this hideous creature. Um, <laughs> any more news items you'd like to uh, uh, you'd like to run through? Nah, those are the main ones. Good, good. In that case, it is the time of uh, the episode where I dash off for a quick bathroom break. So, Matt, would you like to talk the people through uh, one of the films that you've been watching this week? Sure. Shall we Shall we do the main... Ch- the trilogy? Shall we begin talks on the trilogy or shall I wait till you get back? Um, no, I will take part in that. I'm just thinking yeah. uh, one of the ones that you watched that you can sort of do a drag me to hell on. Like you did last week. Okay, I suppose I could talk about mach- the Machine Girl. Cool. Or, uh, have you try? <laughs> have, have you got a image for that one? I do not. No. Uh, In that case, I'll put um, up Daybreakers. Do you want to talk about Daybreakers as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daybreakers is a thing that happened, and we should all try and forget about it. Um, all right, I'll be. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Daybreakers. I'll be back in two minutes. Uh, so let's. Say Daybreakers, the 2009 vampire movie starring Sam Neill, Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, and other character actors. Um, it is a film set in the far-off year of 2019, ten years after a viral outbreak of, um, of vampires has infected the world and essentially rewritten the whole way society works with only... 5% of the population of the planet now being human, and I'm pretty sure all the remaining animals are just bats, uh, judging by the uh, the wilderness in the film. So this whole society has been created around vampires, and it's a boom cottage industry of, uh, of heavy shuttered windows and skywalks between buildings, um, cars fitted with uh, motion cameras so that you can drive in 
blacked out situations during the day. It's uh, it's quite a well thought out little society, really. And you've got a mm, what would the term be? Essentially, it's like Starbucks. Um, it's a Starbucks of the future run by Sam Neill. And they're trying to form a new synthetic human blood because supplies are running low. Humans are, are on the outs. And they're hunters who are out there daily trying to round up any humans they can find to load into the uh, sort of blood harvesting vehicle, as you can see on the poster on the screen there. They're, they're turning up Trump, so they need to find a synthetic one. Because it's not just about not going hungry, it's about profits. You know, capitalism is alive and well in vampire society. The problem is that the longer the vampires go without blood, the quicker they begin to devolve into <laughs> essentially Nosferatu bat monsters. These feral creatures that just eat themselves, these cannibalistic monsters. So it's a fight against time of trying to find the synthetic blood, hunt down humans, and ward off the entire society from just turning into feral animals. Along the way, Ethan Hawke, who is our, our main character, uh, it comes across a band of, uh, of plucky humans. Who uh, He's a human sympathiser uh, who's trying to work on this synthetic blood cure um, and coming up absolute yeah, failure after failure. It's just not working. But he's kidnapped by these humans that are trying to form uh, a bond with vampires so that yeah, together they can find a cure. And it turns out that several members of their party are former vampires who managed to cure their vampirism in... I mean, did you watch it, Dan? <clears throat> Sorry, no. My uh, my focus for this week was uh, entirely on Blade. <laughs> we, had a, we had a vampire week uh, this week. And uh, uh, I would have done it if I had the time. But uh, no, I focused on Blade. Sorry, Karen. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, if you were going to cure vampirism... As this film finds a very ingenious way of doing, how do you think the what do you think the process would be to to stop being a vampire? To stop being a vampire, you think it'd be hmm. something akin to what they actually do in Blade, which we will talk about uh, momentarily, and develop some sort of um, uh, chemical based cure that you hmm. inject or consume. No, it turns out the trick to undoing vampirism is to drive your car at 120 miles an hour into a post, fly through your windshield during the day, burst into flame, and then plunge into a lake, <laughs> thus curing Willem Dafoe of his vampirism. Is that something you can copyright? Can you can you put that into the patent office? Is it? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> wow. Basically, they find out that you have to. You have to die again as a vampire and then resuscitate yourself moments before you die to get your heart beating again. It is... It's absolute fucking bonkers lunacy. Um, the, the problem is that there's about... 70% of this film is... It, it, in some cases, hilarious. It's Willem Dafoe. He's always entertaining. Uh, but ethan hawke just sort of bumbling around going oh i'm so sad being a vampire it really is quite awful um trying to you know explode themselves so that they can cure but the good chunk of the film the 30 odd percent that focuses on the vampire society as run by sam neill the evil head of a, a corporation uh, as i was telling the listeners um essentially uh consumerism is alive and well within vampire society and sam neill is one of the, the top businessmen selling blood 
and he's harvesting people while trying to find a, a blood synthetic that will stop people so he can still make a living but it also stops you know the vampires turning into horrible bat monsters uh as happens when they're deprived of blood for too long and sam neil is just such a fantastic villain he's corporate sleaze wall street smarm who's absolutely ruthless he's um his own daughter's still human she's sort of one of the few campaigners that he keeps her sealed away um and uh, that adds a, a whole interesting dynamic, but he is utterly ruthless in the pursuit of his own goals. And the time you spend with him and his sub, uh, his whole little subplot, it's really compelling, as Sam Neill always is when he plays the villain, mm, which is mm. most of the time. Um, but the problem is it's broken up by following Ethan Hawke and his band of merry men from one desert location and one dusty outhouse to another, you know, trying to solve the vampire crisis. Um so it really does flip between incredibly boring to corporate espionage intrigue. Um, it's I'd say it's worth a watch. It's it's one of the better vampire movies. It's it's funny. I'm not really a fan of vampire movies, and yet I have so many of them. Um, <laughs> if you've never seen Fright Night from the 1980s, that is an absolute masterclass in horror comedy. Um, I I. I can't recommend Fright Night enough. It is an absolutely fantastic 80s horror comedy film in the vein of um, maybe not quite Gremlins. It's it's more horror than that, but I'm... I'm You're big on the Gremlins this uh, this week. I am very big on the Gremlins. It's, it's a good thing to sort of launch off, but it's, it's less over the top than what we do in The Shadows, but um, less serious and grim than Bram Stoker's Dracula. But mm. Daybreakers sort of falls into that category where it's like, okay, there's some there's some good ideas in here, there's some really good scenes and some very good actors, um, but ultimately, the good stuff is so good that you'll be incredibly bored when the the less interesting stuff is going on on screen. So, mm. uh, yeah, to that extent, Daybreakers, I'd I'd recommend it. It's definitely worth a watch. Um, it, it stuck with me over the years, just for sort of the. The novelty aspect of it but um when did it come out uh was it 2009 2000 oh okay i just noticed it in 2019 and thought ha, <laughs> <laughs> those heady days <laughs> exactly yeah no it's 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 a nice novel interesting idea it's just a shame that it spends more time focusing on uh the cure than the really interesting society and the way they've got the the whole socio-economic structure and political structure and military structure all set up mm. That's the real meat of the film. Mm. It's similar. What film were we talking about recently where uh, where that was the case? And you think you've got a really good. Oh, it was um, 47 Meters Down. It's like you've you, <laughs> you, you've come up with this premise, that's, which is actually really quite ingenious. And yet you focus on everything apart from the bit that's <laughs> that, that could, you know, uh, contribute towards a, a, an actually absorbing movie. Um, so that's a shame in that respect because that does sound really interesting. You know, looking. Into say it. it's definitely worth a watch. I think it's going to be a bit like, um, damn it, there's another film where every every other time I watch it, I enjoy it, and every other time I watch it, I really don't like it. <laughs> mm. Ugh, that's really going to irritate me now. It will come back to me. But um, Daybreak is a bit like that. This is my third go around, um, and uh, I'm, I'm warming to it less. Um, <laughs> But it's it's certainly worth watching. There's some good stuff in there. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, as I said, uh, do you want to go into your second movie, or would you like to save that for next week and keep this as Vampire Week? 
Yeah, I don't need to talk about Machine Girl. That can wait until uh, a dry spell. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is cool. Uh, so, yeah. Speaking the... of cool. Speaking of cool. I'm here. <gasps> so, so you are. <laughs> so... Dan, you're like uh, the walking tribal glyph tattoos of people. Oh, yeah. That that is me. That's that's the second time I've heard that today. Would you believe? <laughs> How is your nan, by the way? <laughs> Very good. Um, so yeah, it is Vampire Week here on the Christmas Vacuum Podcast. These things just happened. Last week was uh, Robot Week. This week is Vampire Week. And uh, that's just how we roll. That's just how we roll. Next week, who knows? Ghost Week. Ghost. We could do ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's watch Casper, shall we? Nineteen ninety-four. I, I was only thinking about that the other day. I was bored during a lecture, and uh, not a lecture uh, at work. I was getting a lecture from one of my uh, practice <laughs> educators, and I was just sat there thinking about the Casper movie. Like, ah, oh, stretch. She was a good character. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting to go back and uh, watch that now, actually, because as a kid, you get really caught up in this romance between these ridiculously <laughs> underaged, uh, you know. How old's Christina Ricci in that? Like thirteen or something? Fourteen? And I think she's meant to be about twelve. Yeah. Yeah. And this and this boy ghost, and you get caught up, and then you watch it when you're older, and you think I'm incredibly uncomfortable by this. It's it's that bit when she's sleeping, and he whispers in her ear, "Can I keep you?" <laughs> line by line. <laughs> Gonna pay for that one. It, it was worth, worth it. it. It was. It was uh. worth it. So yeah, ghost next week, maybe. Who knows? Uh, but this week is Vampire Week, and we decided to watch the Blade Trilogy oh. for for your enjoyment. Not our enjoyment, for your enjoyment. We do all of this for you. Um, so Matt, I, was, I ask you all the time, why did you pick the blah, blah, blah movie? I did that last week, so I'm not going to do that this week. Um, which one's your favourite Blade film? Two. Hands down, two. I would agree. I would agree. It's been a while since I've seen all the Blade films. Literally like 20 years or something since <laughs> uh, since watching the first one. And then I think the third one came out in 2004 or something. So that's uh, yeah. 15, 20, five. 15, 20 years ago um, I watched since I last watched all the Blade films. And yeah, I think two. But I was really surprised to see that um, the... Oh, Christ, that's not what I want. Definitely isn't what I want. To see that. I... <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> it won't leave me alone. To see that actually the first Blade has the better IMDb rating. Yeah, people love Blade. Uh, it is uh, still championed as the best one. That, I always got the impression that uh, the second one was more appreciated. I don't know where I've where I've got that from. It could be from me. I've, I, me and my brother have waxed lyrically about Blade Two for, uh, for many, many, well, for two decades now. Yeah. Well, possibly. Yeah, it might be you. Um, but I agree. I preferred Blade Two. I think I really enjoy Blade. I think that Blade Two, just ever so slightly above it. I think if you were to combine the two, you get the mm. perfect Blade movie. I think there are faults with each film, and if you yeah, as I say, if you were to trim those off and maybe bring them together, you it, it'd just be like pff, 10 out of 10. Yeah, phenomenal. absolutely. Um, as it stands, both films have their flaws, but overall a, a pretty, you know, excellent uh, vampire 
a comic vampire films. Duology. Mm-hmm. Um, Blade Trinity is trash. <laughs> as far as I'm I have my concerned. notes, I've got notes written about all three of them here to uh, to skim through. So okay. please do give That's me cool. uh, give me what you got. Well, we'll we'll go chronologically, and from from now. But so that's that's our general. Uh, this is sort of review retrospective. So you know, talking about the uh, the films, but also the uh, the where in which they came. So Blade was a late nineties film, mm-hmm. and uh, the other two were early two thousands. And just generally conversation uh, having a conversation about how they sit in the history of cinema. Um. So the first Blade was released at an interesting time, and one of the things that struck me as I was watching it is how um, it preceded the two defining films of this era in uh, The Matrix and Fight Club, but actually Mm. has a lot of their elements within it. It almost predicts those films. Uh, now, obviously, Fight Club was a book and Matrix, you know, they've both been filmed by this point. So it's not as yeah. though they could have taken any inspiration from Blade. But, yeah, I was I was just kind of like, huh, that's cool. How like, This was the style at the time. This was Blade the... just happened to be cresting the wave. Exactly. I mean, you did have other films in like The Crow and mm. Dark City. The, the late 90s were very much, you know, infused with the dark, the leather clad, you know, the ultra violent Mm. Um, and you know that that kind of style of filmmaking. They, they weren't going for crowd pleasers. They were just going for sheer entertainment and they, cool. They could. I mean, they, they were like um, art pieces that tried to be blockbusters. I think really mm. weren't they? Yeah, that's a good way of uh, describing it. And everything felt like a uh, a Hollywoodized version of a, a European or or East Asian. Yeah, uh, East, East Asian. East, yeah, 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 yeah. Hong Kong cinema, something like that. Mm. It, it is. There was a lot of influence from those uh, Asian Hong Kong cinema films in 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 those films that we just spoke about. But but Blade really, I think, more than most of them, was the first to catch audiences' attention. And that that might be wrong, but that's certainly how I remember it. And um, was a bit of a sensation. And as I say, to say that it, it kind of set people up for The Matrix, which came a, a year later, and uh, Fight Club. And I, I made the Fight Club references purely for the performance of Stephen Dorff, who mm. is Tyler Durden before Tyler Durden, essentially. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and it has such a typical late 90s feel to how it's filmed and shot and stylized and and the soundtrack and the soundtrack and i thoroughly enjoyed that i thoroughly enjoyed the nostalgia of it mm. um well so have you got anything to add to those uh sort of musings of the period of the time and, and uh, no not so much the period of the time although as part um you could say um the fact that it's it's not an origin story we're we're dropped into just this world of vampires and blade is very much part of it yeah they don't need to cut away and and show us a flashback of how he became blade or the early training years it's all very much early training years they do they do tell show us how he became blade but no training very very briefly it's it's purely done for the fact of like here's the basics now let's get on with it yeah (laughs) um that i really appreciated yeah 
it does it gets straight into it one of the things so i one of the things that i don't like about this film and it reminds me of uh the first hell hellboy is in the sense that um it's sort of seen through the eyes of someone outside the you know it doesn't follow blade directly it yeah it, it it's takes, following dr karen it, jensen isn't it, it takes us into his world through the eyes of someone else which is something that's done often as a device for the audience so that you're not dropped into this world and they don't have to do too much unnatural exposition it's an easier way to get exposition into the into this into the story and it's something but i've I, nev- never particularly liked sorry go on i, I was gonna say i would counter that with the fact that i quite like dr jensen's character oh um she didn't feel forced into it and because blade is a man of so few words um and whistler too to that extent you you sort of need that third person to be not exactly the audience surrogate but um it helps having an outsider to contrast yeah sure uh, no, this, I can this appreciate world with yeah so I, I get where you're coming from but i think this is one of the films that does it better than most yeah i i, I would appreciate that I'd, I'd accept that i think that's 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 a fair point i just don't like it as a device and mm. um for me that's as i say hellboy is the one that automatically springs to mind because well yeah Hell, hellboy is a much larger than the life character it makes absolutely no sense to sideline him essentially in his yeah. own film and uh that was one of the reasons why i got so frustrated with that film and it's something they rectify in the second hellboy film um but enough of hellboy um so yeah, uh, we'll go through actually just a synopsis for the film just to... Buh, 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 buh. So it was directed by Stephen Norrington and written by David S. Goya, who wrote all mm-hmm. three Blade films to varying degrees of success. Uh, based on the Marvel comic superhero of the same name. Uh, stars Wesley Snipes and Stephen Dorff. In the film, Blade is a vampire. Dampier? Is that how, how do they pronounce it? Um, I just want it just vampire. It's it's D H A M P I R, a human with vampire strengths but not their weaknesses, who together with his mentor uh, Abraham Whistler and hematologist Karen Jensen fights against vampires, namely the exceptionally vicious Deacon Frost, which is <laughs> you know when you talk about larger than life <laughs> you know, <laughs> Bob Pound Max type names, Deacon Frost has, has got to be up there. How He's do you, a great you know, villain though especially in the comics. Brandon Heat Brandon Heat uh, Yeah, uh, great, really great villain. Um, I do have problems with how he's used but we'll get to that. Mm. And uh, released in August 1998, uh, commercially successful, grossing 70 million at the US box office, 131 million worldwide. Um, despite mixed reviews from film critics, the film received a positive reception from audiences and has since garnered a cult following. Matt, walk us through your opinions of the film. Oh, your notes. What notes do you have? Um, well, first and foremost, uh, this goes for all three, but Wesley motherfucking Snipes. <laughs> I mean, th- this... Oh, God. It, he is loving this role, and it oozes with his love of the character. Uh, we were speaking about this before a podcast a few weeks ago, but um, originally he was lined up to play Black Panther, but because of uh, that film being trapped in development hell, it was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll play Blade instead. And um, he made the character completely his own. Um, 
and it is just such a delight watching him on screen. Um, it's it just it, he takes such glee. Um, I, I say he Blade every time Blade like walks into a situation, he's always in complete control. He's smiling, he's quipping, he's sort of appreciating his own prowess and uh, and skills at dispatching them. You know, half the time he's like smiling and grinning, and um, it never fails to raise a chuckle. So Wesley Snipes, absolutely, we're talking Hugh Jackman, Wolverine, pitch perfect um, casting here. Um, and I don't think even if um, what's the name of the uh, the actor they've got lined up to play New Blade? Uh, oh, I, Green Book. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to butcher his name, but yeah, he's um, yeah, he's been in a fair few things. He's an amazing actor, um, but uh, we're talking, you know, the Jack Nicholson's Joker took an exceptional. Heath Ledger to uh, to outdo him, and uh, this is what we got with Wesley Snipes. You know, he he is Blade, uh, so that's for a start. And then my notes just run with um, Bebone's script in terms of, you know, it's all about world building, establishing the dynamics, the the setting. You know, where vampires live within it. Very little time is actually wasted in that sense. We've got a good collection of characters in uh, Dr. Jensen and, and Whistler, all very solid, do their jobs fantastically well. Um, uh, an entertaining scenery-chewing set of villains in Deacon Frost and Quinn and Pearl and the vampire aristocratic um, society of snobs. Um, the, the blood rave that opens the film mm. is uh, is just so much fun set in where is it? it's like a slaw it's called the slaughterhouse isn't it it's set in this meat <laughs> processing plant and uh and this hapless twerp is dragged there by um uh tracy lords um playing a, a, a vampire and she drags him in and everyone's having a rave and, and then the sprinkler system turns on and it's blood and everyone's just getting absolutely coasted and then blade enters the fray and it's just that's how the film starts <laughs> it's so good um but yeah, you've you've got Deacon Frost, who is a um, essentially a mudblood, a, a half-breed vampire who is looked down on by the elder society, but he's managed to, through his own cunning and, and knowledge and uh, and savvy intelligence, managed to rise through the ranks of a society that won't accept him. And uh, he's trying to awaken this ancient blood god, uh, the terrible lord of CGI from the late 90s, um, and overtake vampire society and then sort of bring about a new world order. And it's up to Blade and his plucky uh, quartet, uh, quintet to uh, try and save the world from a, a vampire blood god being uh, resurrected. It's all good stuff. What do you have to say, Dan? Um, yeah, I I was... Um, I felt as though the film was pulled in two different directions here. And this is just me being nitpicky for the sake of being nitpicky, which I often am. Um I felt as though it tried to um, set up this world where the vampires were infused into human society, uh, but didn't want to cause a fuss because they they had like a, there was a conspiracy of of um, of uh, what's the phrase? Uh, mine's gone. Um, but you know, mutual benefit essentially the the. the the, a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, yeah. The the politicians and the powers that be in the human society knew that vampires existed, and they allowed them to get on with their stuff. And in the same way, the vampires, you know, didn't really they didn't like go on killing sprees or anything. They had their 
they they take homeless people or, or whatever or uh, randoms and 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 feed, but they never really tried to tear each other down. And I thought that that was a really interesting backdrop that gets pushed under the rug ever so slightly uh, for the story of uh, Deacon Deacon Frost. And as I say, it's 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 cool that they build that backdrop there to this usurper trying to undermine the vamp the vampire society that had been built but at the, at the same time part of me is thinking um is that something that they could have maybe done in the second film especially when they st- clearly struggle for stories as the films go on um it, it seems like if you build a society in the first film and then have a usurper in the second film you know just to show in the first film how um uh, a bit, a bit fragile this this little balances uh, you need to do the hand movements otherwise it doesn't work um between the two societies and it's something that isn't really played on i don't know if that's something that, that you have ever thought of or picked up on or have an opinion about it has um but more for the fact that um i mean we'll get to it when we talk about blade trinity but um i've seen it partially explored and then abandoned with even more reckless uh recklessness in blade three yeah so by comparison blade was like Ooh, somewhat nuanced, and uh, I'm, it, it's true. It, it would be good to see a film based more around a bit like Day Day Break is doing the same thing. The politics yeah. is there, but the problem is that it's sort of swept to the side, so we can so carry we can on focus with the on the story. Tyler Durden uh, yeah. type, who is who is fantastic, and he 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 also chews up the scenery and really enjoys himself, and uh, and he is a you know you're always grabbed by his presence on the screen, and and you want to see what he does. Uh, which is a great quality for a villain, obviously. Um, it, it, yeah, as I say, it just it's, it's a shame that it comes at the expense of the uh, the vampire politicians. Um, and something else that bothers me is how wooden all the vampire politicians are. They it's literally like the the the, the Simpsons Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> in in uh, you know they're all just sat around this table in their identical suits, and the only thing that differentiates them really is is, uh, is their accent. But that's part of it, really, though, isn't it? You know, that's what, you know, Deacon Swan's in late with his, his you know, button-down shirt and his loafers into this, you know, well-suited, well-oiled machine. And, you know, he's he's this archaic outsider, whereas they're very much bogged down in their traditions and, and their stiff start shirts and everything else. And, uh, and they're just not going anywhere as a society because they're being held back by the way things have always been done. It's it's reminiscent of that late nineties attitude, isn't it? That, as we were saying, mm-hmm. is very um, uh, important to films like The Matrix and Fight Club, where you have this soulless inner core that rules everything, and and uh, and so it, it is of, of the time. Um, yeah. Uh, so, just thinking whether to jump ahead or not. Mm. Um, okay. So Me- memorable moments, I suppose we could. Uh, we could... Yeah. 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 Do that. <laughs> Yeah, what what uh, what stood out for you? Um, memorable for? moments are every single time Quinn gets his arm cut off, which is a running joke throughout the film. Quinn is yeah, uh, Duke and Frost sort of number two man. The the sort of like we were talking about RoboCop last week, the guy who just loves being an evil dick for the sake of being an evil dick, and just throughout the film, Blade is just constantly mutilating him, and he'll grow his limbs back only to have it cut off 
by the the time it's like a fully functioning appendage again um what else um pearl is uh, <laughs> obviously an absolute delight so much so that he she whatever gender pearl is it's impossible to tell made the back of uh, of the dvd case and the, the vhs box <laughs> just this horrendously morbid obese vampire that's sort of head of um not even head of security it's more like the archives isn't it he, he monitors the archives yeah, yeah. it's just this hideous deflated blob of fat and it's just so disgusting <laughs> the way it <laughs> jiggles and flows um uh, again just wesley snipes the arsenal the uh the soundtrack the uh the characters the fact that it's got zombies in it as well to an extent of some vampires just don't take but they just become these horrible flesh-eating ghouls that they knock on down to the basement level and uh and just sort of try and ignore <laughs> mm, mm. uh they there are some very good set pieces in it. as you say the opening scene is excellent i think that is the standout from it's probably the standout for me of um it is one of the standouts of the entire trilogy I yeah think, is it's the opening scene and it's I also, probably the most iconic of of the lot yeah yeah how it plays yeah. out and then uh and then the subway scene which i think is from the mm. first film is it i thought that that was very cool um it's one of the only times i think in the film where you generally holding or i did i genuinely held my breath and thought oh crap you know sort of this is a <laughs> this is a situation um so they stand out and um so i'm just trying to yeah i think all the i don't think you can complain about the characterizations at all in uh in, in this first film um is it blade excellent karen jensen you know, has a has a role that she uh, that she performs well, uh, despite my you know what I said earlier, um, and then uh, Chris Christopherson as uh, Whistler, as Blaze Mentor, uh, and Weaponsmith is excellent, played pitch perfect again, and they all I think that's that's one of the things which is so uh, good about this film is how every character has their place and. There's there's no one that's um, not used or you know you think I, the film could have done without this person. Every character that they focus on plays a part in moving the story forward or bringing something new to it, which is again something that for the following films becomes a problem. Uh, and they're all very strong uh, because of that. They all have enough time to dive into them, dive into the backstories, and even something like when we were saying when. Um, uh, when uh, Karen Jensen is at the beginning of the movie when she's attacked by the vampire which is how she gets to know Blade is she gets bitten and so Blade uh, you know takes her and, and helps her recover her relationship that with the uh, with the other like hospital nurse or uh, like what is he a surgeon or a uh, uh, he's a mortician, isn't mortician. He? Oh, no, she's the mortician his assistant yeah uh, her ex-boyfriend, either way. Yeah, I, I like how they develop that relationship really subtly. It's not in your face, but at the same time, it is a background that they bring to her story, and it plays out later in the film, which is really clever. And um, it's, it's just those subtleties in this film, I think, that it really nails. It doesn't um, try and go overboard, I think. It, it leaves that for the action, 
and then it just tells the story very subtly as you say in world building and with little character moments um it's very um you might disagree but it's very batman begins i think in how it's paced mm. yeah i'd agree there there's never too much time spent lingering on anything uh you know th- there isn't a moment where there's a a like a heart to heart between two characters that last a specifically long time, you know, or, or just something, um, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> nothing lingers sense. to the point that it becomes gratuitous. Yeah, yeah, everything's yeah. always moving at a at a pace. Even when you you're finding out information and characters are talking, it's never as though the film stops. It's like there's always something going yeah. on in the background where you think we need to progress on to this bit now. Um, which is which is to its 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 benefit, mm-hmm. and um, again something that the later films maybe don't get right as well. Um, coming to the end of the film, I'm just trying to mm-hmm. think. What was your impression of? So as you say, the Deacon's trying to resurrect this vampire blood god. Is it? Yeah. Um, so that's the point of the of, of his plans and um, eventually gets everything in place and sacrifices the vampire politicians and just you know this is this is where the film falls down for me I think is uh, is its finale in the most cliched setup I think it reminds me of something more from the mummy than than blade in <laughs> in in how the the setup is this this ritual uh that that takes place and all the politicians are killed and this vampire god enters the body of uh deacon as if almost to uh take over the fact that they couldn't maybe think <laughs> of either how to bring about what what a vampire god would look like a blood god or the the thought of well we can't just get rid of deacon <laughs> you know we can't just you know he he is the main guy so they put the spirit of the vampire god into this character and then there's a fight which lasts all about two minutes um, i'd say that's the most disappointing part of it to be honest yeah yeah no, I, I, I don't mind the sort of well you say the mummy i always think the intro to count ducula the way uh <laughs> this whole mechanism works i'll accept um, that yeah um it, it's more the fact that okay so he gets he gets infused with the power of the blood god and you know the, this is a film from the late 90s and it's not a high budget film so is it really bad obvious cgi sure for the time is it bad still probably yes but they're working with the limitations of what they have you know i can i can, can forgive bad cgi in you know the wake of a good story and um if you've seen the original ending where it was literally just like a a blood tornado but with um steven dorif like literally from his torso poking out of it no and it, it was just terrible so we got the uh, the better of two evils there um it, it's more the fact that the fight starts uh we find out swords don't work and then immediately blade just delivers the killing blow and that's it <laughs> it's it's so anticlimactic mm. uh despite the sword fight itself is pretty good um but it's more the fact that it's like a bloodborne boss where okay you've beat stage one and that was really tough and then the boss pretty much just commits seppuku 
yeah. just so underwhelming. It is. It is. It's um. Yeah, it it comes out of nowhere when you build up to this moment that's incredibly over the top. And oh, we didn't even mention that Blades. So 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 Blades' um, mother is bitten mm. just as she's about to give birth, and that's how he gets his special powers. And then the film implies that she dies, uh, but oh my goodness, she doesn't. And she turns up right when she's called, right when she's needed. Well, she's subtly hidden all along because she's the one that's sleeping with Deacon from from the outset, but you just don't see her face throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, quite good. <laughs> do you know what bothers me about this, though? Mm. That um, is one of the things that doesn't make any sense, is that you have these flashbacks. Blade has these flashbacks to her face when she's yes. sp- supposed to be dying and giving yeah. birth. And it's like, well, that's not going to, you know, Blade's having flashbacks about his own birth. I don't, that. Well, you know, it worked for, for Leia. She remembers her mum always being sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Lucas logic. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that never made any sense to me. And the fact that, as far as we know, uh, Blade doesn't have any connection to his m- mother. I mean, that might just be a, a leap in logic from me, but he never... Uh, mm. When you when you think of Blade, you always get the idea that maybe struggled through foster homes or something like that, but never had yeah, a definitely. relation yeah. to his parentage. So th- the relationship that they try to force onto him and his mother at the end of the film doesn't feel earned because mm. it's not as though he ever knew her to begin with. He, you know, she, she may as well be anyone, anyone. Um, and that is something that, that that's probably my biggest criticism of the entire film is how, yeah. how that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's just it's dropping an payoff that really isn't earned. Yeah. And yeah. something as well that, uh, is relevant to this film that I liked that doesn't apply as much to two and three, which really disappointed me was I like how brutal Blade is in this one. He isn't, he isn't a good guy. He doesn't make any attempt to be a good guy. You know, if, if people are in danger, it's not in his interest to save them to, or to look out for their best interest. Yeah. He's a vampire hunter, not a he's superhero. He's a vampire hunter. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got no morals. And uh, and there's a scene where Deacon has a small child, and uh, Deacon's threatening her, and he explicitly, and this happens a number of times throughout the film, it's not just this one instance, uh, but Deacon says, you know, I'll kill the child or whatever, and Blade's like, we'll do it. And, and, it's, and it's not a bluff. He generally, you know, wouldn't care, because uh, he, he, he fires at Deacon uh, in an attempt to kill him, uh, just as he's holding the child like this. And, you know, Deacon's like, rah. They throw the child away, and and um, and and Blade's first instinct is to, you know, chase after him, um, and then it's only when he loses him, I think, that he decides, oh well, I may as well go and save the child now. Mm. But it's it's not in his first interest to help the child. It's all about killing the vampire. And just getting ahead of myself a little bit, uh, two and three, I felt retconned this Blade, and they make mm. him far more, uh, far softer. And imbued with morals, and um, yeah, I, I I didn't like that compared to. I'm not so sure about two. Two does three definitely. Two two does. I definitely picked up on it. Um, I, f- I forget what it is, but it it 
there definitely is a moment of two in in two. Um, I might actually bring it up and see if I can remember what I'm thinking of. Um, but yeah, so they're just little bits and pieces that uh, that uh, stand out to me in the first Blade. Have you got any other thoughts on Blade 1? <laughs> just the fact that um, it, they established that vampires can go out in daylight if they wear heavy enough sunblock. Yeah, I, I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> that scene that Dan was just talking about with uh, Deacon Frost holding the child captive, broad daylight, middle of the uh, middle of the, the town park, uh, and he's just wearing like sun facts like a hundred, so he's like ghostly pale. But it's something you rarely see in vampire media at all. Just like yeah, it's sunblock. <laughs> Don't worry about how it works on the scalp, but for the sake of you know the the film doing something a bit different, then yeah, I'll get on with that. Um, <laughs> I just want if um, I may have to switch my headphones off for the main power, so uh, my uh, audio may get a bit janky over the coming uh, minutes. Crap. Um, hmm. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm not sure what to do then because it's it's definitely a downgrade. Um, yeah, we've sort of gone over a lot on this, haven't we? Um, hmm. We could always pick up like Blade Two and Three next week. I suppose we could. Which is a shame, but I, I don't know. We can we can sacrifice something else. Um, good for probably at least another, hopefully twenty minutes or so. Okay, well we'll do twenty minutes carrying on this conversation because uh, I yeah it would be good to finish off this conversation mm. and then we'll just hold off on the fan fiction and, and uh, the hypothetical until next week because we are running quite long actually for today's show. Um, okay, so yeah, Blade first Blade, solid, excellent first outing for the character. Um, Blade 2. Uh, you and I both enjoyed it uh, more than the first one. It is... Hang on, let me get my wiki up so I can... I want to say 2002? I think, yeah, you're right. Okay, so uh, Blade 2, 2002, directed by Guillermo del Toro, written again by David S. Goya. Uh, film finding himself in a fierce battle against a group of mutant vampires who seek to commit global genocide of both the vampire and human races. Uh, Blade and his human allies are coerced into joining forces with a special elite group of vampires. Released in March 20, 2002, uh, box office success grossed over $155 million. Received mixed reviews. Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, earning praise for performances, atmosphere, direction and action although its script and lack of character development has been criticised, and that's probably fair. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think you can argue with that much at all. Let me check out its IMDb rating. It's got an IMDb rating of 6.7, so 0.4 lower than the first one. Okay, that seems fair, I guess. I mean, the, the first film's not exactly like an 8 out of 10, so... Yeah, that's fair, I guess. Um, I think... Okay, so... I'm just trying to not get confused. <laughs> you, watch, you watch three Blade films in the space of an evening and they kind of morph into one. <laughs> um, I think even though... I completely forgot that this was a Guillermo del Toro film. Uh, and it was only when I was watching I thought, this is a Guillermo del Toro film. It's It's interesting how you can pick out certain directors by their style and the way mm. they shoot action sequences and all that type of thing. And um, 
yeah, so I think <sighs> Right, well tell me tell me why you think this is better than the first blade. Rather um, than me going on another die trap. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um it was the first of the blade films that we watched, um, at a very impressionable age. Uh we it it came out in the two thousand two. Uh we watched it on the, the Halloween night of um two thousand two. Followed by Hellraiser two, actually. Great night, great night. Um so it was just we were young teenagers. It was ridiculously cool. It had good monsters. Um, what it sacrifices for depth of character and breadth of story, it makes up for in sheer slick, stylish coolness. Uh, you got the the story is basically Frankenstein, where uh, this genetically engineered creature is trying to seek revenge on the father that created him and cast him out um and what is the story of blade 2 it's basically we've got this feral gang of vampires roaming every single one of them that feeds creates another one and they need they're essentially junkies they're addicts they need to feed every couple of hours um and they spread like a plague so there's determination from the vampires and humans essentially to to eradicate them as quickly as possible so uh, as you said it's up to blade and his uh his team of what, what are they called is it the the blood pack this mm-hmm. <laughs> neo-nazi attack squad of uh, the best vampire killing machines in vampire dumb to uh to head to the sewers and try and take them out and it's a, a very um what do you call it a uh, um a precarious alliance that they've got and uh so you've got ron perlman as this neo-nazi vampire that blades just bit smacking around you've got a guy with a giant mallet you've got the 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 typical asian cool character it's just stylish the soundtrack is fucking cool i love the blade 2 soundtrack so much i was only listening to it a couple of weeks ago uh before i even decided to watch the movies because it's that good of an ost um the weapons are fantastic there's so many new weapons like the light grenades and more shurikens and blade 2 really is a case of okay that the world building is done we're just going to give you more vampires more weapons more action more over the top but not to the point that it becomes just essentially what Blade 3 becomes. Uh, essentially just like, oh, look at this cool new thing. We'll use it once and then move on. You know, everything gets used to the, the proper extent. And best of all, I love Novak. He is a very caricaturish villain in the, again, like Frankenstein, as I was saying, he's just the wronged monster that wants that wants to know his purpose in life and seek revenge from the father that cast him out who he 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 loves but at the same time he he hates for abandoning him but these vampires have uh sort of a, a novel way of injecting the serum where their their lower mandible splits open and it's, it's the tongue the proboscis that uh sort of drains the blood so they're essentially these giant corpse leeches with predator mandibles <laughs> which I don't know, maybe it's just me and my love of monsters and body horror and uh, and shock factor, but the first time seeing those like burst into into life, 
<laughs> it's stuck in my mind. They are wonderful vampire designs. They make a point um, of doing that to the whole body, really, don't they? They have this scene yeah. where they cut it open and you see the innards of this <laughs> thing, and it's just horrifying. Everything about it is just disgusting to the, it's, you know. It's pure Guillermo de Toro, where he's gone like, we've made monsters, we're going to show you as much of this as possible, mm. including the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it is a great it's, design. It's slick, it's stylish, it's fun. Um, it, it gets bogged down. There's some tedious dialogue, and uh, Nissa, I think uh, the main love interest is uh, is nothing too special. Terrible. The, yeah, she's she's not so good. The the CGI in some areas is is woeful. In some ways, worse than Blade One because at least that had uh, the excuse of low budget in the late nineties. And uh, some of the CGI here is sort of Attack of the Clones level, obvious. Yeah. So, but, uh, for style. <laughs> so let me do what I do, and I'm going to tear bits and pieces of this part, keeping in mind that this is my favorite. So this is just <laughs> this is just how I deal with things. Um, so yeah, you you just mentioned her. I think Nisa is a uh, is a love interest. Have you did you put her on my thing? Oh no, you put. You, no, you put I don't think so. I, oh didn't God. we put Ron Pelmer on there? <laughs> well, that is a surprise. Hmm. Um, so Nisa is God, the so good. <laughs> love interest, and um, that is one of the things for what I was talking about earlier with the the increase in sentimentality, maybe, with the Blade mm-hmm. character. And I don't mind him having a love interest, but I don't get the point when there was such a good one in the first film, and they mm-hmm. specifically avoided it, to its credit, to its mm-hmm. credit. I thought it was good that um, that it avoided the uh, the the romance which it could have done between blade and what's the name i forgot the name uh karen and karen was such a, a good strong character so you know it's not as though they couldn't have done it it was very plausible that that they would be attracted to each other but they uh they decided against it and but so what they do in this is they think well blade should have a love interest and um we'll just make it her <laughs> and, the, and that's about the extent to the depth that they that they give this relationship, yeah. they, they, she is woman, and that is her character. She is she is leader of Blood Pack. He is um, he is an other, and they're from two different worlds. But they they just they just seem to get each other. But they don't. They they have no chemistry. There's no reason why <laughs> they should be interested in each other, aside from the fact that um, they're both. Hot, so <laughs> to, to be honest, I from I was shipping him and Novak. They've got a far better sort of almost sexual chemistry between them. I think it'd make a lot of sense if Blade was gay, really. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so that, that's that's one of the that's one of the major you know bad points about this film is it it shoves this romance story in there that really doesn't need to be in there. And is it just me or does Guillermo del Toro have um, history? with doing that um I, I think it i might be wrong but i feel as though there is another film of his that uh hellboy yeah hellboy was another somewhat one. forced pan's labyrinth between pan and the girl <laughs> um, <laughs> um so i might be wrong with that but anyway uh i suppose he didn't even write the script so i can't even think of guillermo de toro films now that's terrible <clears throat> um well, Pacific Rim. He didn't. Was there a oh yeah, that was one of the few that didn't have a love interest. Yeah. So uh, I'll give him credit for that. Uh, let's just see. Pacific, uh, yeah. Um. Chronos, Mimic, Devil's Backbone, Blade Two, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, 
Hellboy 2, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, Shape of Water, uh, then Pinocchio Nightmare Alley. So, okay, so he doesn't have yeah, two. Probably many. just Hellboy. <laughs> yeah, it's probably just Hellboy, but Hellboy was another one that uh, that hurt me for that reason. Um, so, yeah, and, and again, where I mentioned the maybe over sentimentality of the character in this, or maybe just the general story, is that it, it kind of soft retcons things from the end of Blade One, and mm. that and that bothered me. Um, so we didn't mention that uh, Whistler dies. Whistler in Blade. <laughs> Whistler has an arc over the trilogy. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> he doesn't. He has an arc. No, in the... I, I say, I say that jokingly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just felt, I, you know, I'd, I die, I live, I die again. I'd state for the for the audience that maybe didn't pick up on the sarcasm. But he has an arc in the first movie. And then that arc then just stalls. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere from the second and third one. But yeah, so he, he shoots himself in the first one because uh, he's about to get all vampirific. So he shoots himself, and you think, "Damn, that's a shame." I really like that character. Um, it's a shame that he doesn't get to live. But you know, it's a it's a it's a noble death it's and a fitting end. A fitting from end, and, and you know, generally, if you shoot yourself in the face, that's a death to it's hard to escape uh but uh he he manages it at the beginning of blade 2 somehow shooting your face before you become a vampire doesn't work he and, pulls a renard from the world it's not enough yeah and that's pretty much all the explanation they give is that uh he tried to kill himself but it, <laughs> it didn't work and another classic simpsons ralph i thought you were dead nope <laughs> 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 that is pretty much it. They they don't really, yeah. So he's too far gone as a vampire or something, I guess. And then he gets abducted by vampires and puts in a in a blood vat to become a proper vampire. And then Blade finds him, and then he's not a vampire. And uh, fill fill me in, Matt. What am I missing from that story? Uh, no, it's about that simple. That for some reason. The cure doesn't stop Blade being a vampire, but it stops Whistler being a vampire. It, it reminds me a lot of what you were just saying about Daybreakers, where essentially, you know, uh, fly, uh, driving really fast and going through a windscreen, and it, it may as well just be that. <laughs> it makes more sense. Yeah, exactly. And you become undead, you become dead again. And <laughs> And so, despite having a really cold outlook towards literally anyone and everyone in the prior film, and uh, he is a little bit upset that Whistler has to kill himself, but he he's like he, he deals with it very quickly. It's, it's oh well, it's one of those things. Your time's up, and uh, and he walks away when he has to kill himself. Um, but somehow he develops a sentimentality in this film, and I feel like the old Blade would have been like, nope, I can't trust you. You 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 are mm. a vampire, and um, he just lets him back into his inner circle. Um, uh, for you know reasons, he's just talking about Blade being gay. Yeah, exactly. Um, I duh, 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 duh. so things go on, and Blade has a new member of his gang to replace Whistler, uh, who is Norman Reedus, and I think Norman Reedus is probably my favourite part of the film. If I'm if I'm honest, yeah, I just think he's probably my least favourite outside of Nissa. Really. Yeah, uh, I well, just... he watched a lot of Powerpuff Girls. I'll give him that. I was going to say, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to make the Powerpuff Girls reference earlier. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. He, he just, uh, I just think he's good. I think his plot twist is awful. 
I think is mm. it's terrible. Uh, and I'm beginning to think, why do I prefer this film now to the first Blade film? <laughs> because it's stylish and cool. That, and I Against Die is a song for the age. No, I think I think what sets this apart from the other two Blade films, more so the third than the first, I really appreciate how the action set pieces in this film tell a story. They, mm. It's not just action for the sake of action, which is definitely what the third film is. Everything in the set pieces of this film add to the story the the action sequences tell a story with you know it, it has character moments it and that's something that uh i think is lost on uh on people sometimes of what makes a really great director is how you can tell a story in the action you know it's not just a matter of punching and kicking um but you're actually finding out when the uh blood pack or whatever they're called storm the stone the building and they're trying to you know kill these vampires in each scene you are learning about not just the characters in the blood pack but about these new creatures themselves mm. and um there are so many different narrative strings that come off of each collective story that we follow that, that follow on further into the film and it's you know that's what i mean when the action scenes have a purpose you don't there's nothing like that in the third film at all and um <laughs> we'll you, get to that yeah yeah and so that's something that's what let's say that's probably my favorite thing about this film is that uh is the action scenes are more than just action scenes and uh so you can say that they're stylish but they're also really well crafted, uh, crafted and narrated mm. yeah um so but a bit of so where were we so yeah i was just ripping into things that i don't like <laughs> um, <laughs> I can talk about things I do like. Uh, yeah, so no, I was just saying, Norman Reedus's uh, turn is silly, and um, they—I think that's what they try to do. I think the only point for the Whistler thing, where he comes back as a vampire, is there's a throwaway comment from one of the Blood Pack of um, something like "Our mole." It's not our mole, but you know, mm. our. And that is supposed to be like a huge twist. And so you think, well, it must be Whistler because he was a vampire. And Chuck of all Chucks is not Whistler. It is uh, Norman Reedus. Uh, Scud, I think his name is. Yes. Yeah, uh, which is just... And it's a familiar rather than a, a vampire. So that's yeah, sort of the, yeah. the twist within the twist. I it guess. Is, it's just the most obvious twist. Mm. And I remember thinking when I was watching it at the time, it's clearly that guy. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the, there are three of them. <laughs> it's not going to be Blade. <laughs> it's not it's gonna... like the guy with the obvious Russian accent working at the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just thought that was so stupid. Um, but as you say, it's just it knows this film. I think um, knows how to uh, accentuate Blade for what makes the best bits of Blade, Blade kind of thing. As you were saying, uh, the the music and the action set pieces and things they just they they just hit all the right spots and um, and never really lets up. I think for its for its full runtime, uh, and it's just really enjoyable. The ultimate evil, I actually thought was supposed to be Dracula. <laughs> I don't know if, <laughs> if that if that was something that you thought when you watched the film. Uh, are we are we moving on to Blade Three already? No, 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 no. In this film, oh, you mean uh, the, Eli Damaskinos? Um, yeah, I thought you know the, everything. Um, yeah, Damaskinos. That's right. It says there. Mm. 
the way they use him, everything points to him sort of being the Dracula because he's, I think he's in like the Czech Republic, which is Eastern Europe. It's not Romania, it's not Transylvania, but um, they kind of point to him, you know, being Eastern European. So you think, well, he is the original vampire. He's bald. He looks like Nosferatu. And I thought that's what they were going for. He is Dracula per se. We've we've gone past the New York uh, political vampires, which is another thing which annoyed me. Another soft reboot of this is the vampire society that is built around the human society, and it's like, mm. oh well, they've all been killed, so now let's go back to the ancient society that yeah just exists. The true ruling class. The true ruling class, which again conflicts soft I, reset. I don't know. I suppose in some extent you could argue the americas have their you know suave savvy suited ones but in europe where you know the the original vampires well no, as we'll find out in blade 3 where the original european vampires come from at least it like makes sense for there to be more of a oh hang on sounds gonna cut out bear with me <laughs> have a notable dip in my sound quality how's that terrible how terrible are we talking here um We'll carry on. We may as well carry on now, and uh, we'll just wrap this up a bit quicker than, than expected. Oh, okay, fair enough. It's only Blade Three. We're sort of missing out the main bones too at this point, anyway. So, yeah. So, did you? But did, did that dawn on you with uh, with the Dracula type character? Did you make that connection with? Uh... Well, the the first time around, yeah. Uh, to the extent that uh, we have this sort of, as you say, Nosferatu esque ancient vampire that goes back to the Ark. Um, but I never really thought that he was like much beyond just the, an ancient vampire. Mm. <clears throat> Whether they were sort of angling for him to be the first or whatever didn't really uh, come into my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, that's the impression I got, uh, which is neither here nor there, but he is not. <clears throat> and um um, I'm just trying to think what else to say. Uh, he's taken care of pretty easily. He's not a very effective vampire. Um, no Mac eats him <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty easily. Um, da, 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 da. anything else? Any any notes? Um, Once again, Wesley Snipes just absolutely dominating every scene he's in. Um, always in complete control of the situation he's well yeah obviously he's got whistler and uh, and scud with him but essentially he's just one man right in the belly of the beast you know the the vampire hq and he's just one man amongst thousands that would rather see him dead but they need his help and he's just calm collected he's put in charge of the blood pack and immediately uh, he takes their alpha male and bitch slaps him down, um, which is fantastic. You get that, uh, and now you've got an explosive device slapped in the back of your headline. <laughs> and um, throughout the, uh, when they go to the sort of the uh, the next rave scene, <clears throat> sorry, I've taken off my headphones and now I'm aware how croaking my voice is. Um, they go to a rave where they're tracking down the, the Reavers and uh, Ron Perlman thinks it's got the drop on him uh, with his laser sights. And then he looks down and finds out the blade's not even looking and has got his sights pointed right at him. So and then he just gives him a knowing smile. And it's, it's moments like that. Just anything between Wesley Snipes and Ron Perlman in that film is an utter joy to watch, mm-hmm. especially when you find out the behind-the-scenes fiascos that went on with Blade Three. It just makes it even more interesting and fun in retrospect. 
Yeah, so let's go to play three then. Oh, I can hear you. I can hear me rather in the background. Mm, sorry, um, this could be fiddly. Uh, hopefully, after a few minutes of charge, we can maybe get there. No, that's fine. I just won't talk as much. Uh, I'll let you do all the uh, chatting. Um, so, da -da 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 -da. what was I going to say? Um, so, yeah, I I don't know if uh, you thought this, but for me, I feel as though Blade 2 should have been Blade Trinity. Um, I mm. think the... Um, Blade having to Blade and the vampires having to come together to to take care of this ultimate mega threat should have been the conclusion of the series. Yeah, and um, and they should have just come up with something else for the second film. So I think they they jumped the shark with that, which is a shame, and especially considering what they did essentially have to come up with for what they did Blade Trinity, and uh, if ever there was a movie that had just realized it had totally shot its load and it was just like quick throw something at the wall just anything it doesn't really matter dracula um it's this film terrible <laughs> doesn't it, no, I, no i was gonna say terrible doesn't even begin to explain it but it's it's not that bad it's just it's just really poor i think and it, it again it's it's stunning how this one as written by David S. Goya, who did a, a, a decent job, a really good job mm -hmm. in the first two films, and comes on to write this film, uh, but also direct it. And maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, da possibly. Da David Goya's got a hit-and-miss reputation, as it is. He wrote all the Blade films, and then he did the story for The Dark Knight, which you think, oh, okay, story for The Dark Knight. And then he also wrote Batman vs. Superman, and you go, oh, okay. Mm. And... Uh, and so he's he's very all over the place, and you do kind of wonder if maybe the directors took some of the script out of his hands for the first two Blade films, and now we're seeing what he actually offers. Um, Could be. It's it's been said many times, and I think he says it in the Blade commentary about the fact that he is he understands story structure um, in terms of world building, character development, but he seems to really struggle on. Everything else. State es ex uh, escalation. Right. And I think uh, two works in the fact that it has high stakes, sure, but it's a very uh, lean sort of thing. You know, it's just that an, an evil pack of plague rats is sweeping throughout Paris. Rats must be exterminated. You know, that's the extent of Blade 2. Whereas Blade 3 is trying to be far more ambitious um, and it just completely outstrips his capabilities. Yeah. 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 I agree. So Blade Trinity, as we were saying earlier, um, falls back on Dracula. And he isn't a particularly charismatic Dracula. He isn't a particularly notable Dracula. He just reminded me of... You know what I thought? I thought he... I could see him being like from a 90s boy band that's got <laughs> overweight and has a drug addiction and is disgraced and is now appearing on some sort of reality TV show. That's what <laughs> that's what I think of when I uh, when I see this this Dracula. I don't know. Well, they call him Drake throughout, which doesn't help. Yeah, it's like that's supposed to be cool. And we were talking last week about how the 80s movies progressed into the the 80s action movies progressed into the 90s action movies that progressed into the 2000s and essentially it was as though they lost uh, the understanding of 
what a good action movie was by the time we got to the two thousands, and um, and this typifies that in a way that Terminator mm. Three does. Uh, Terminator Three is a better film than this. Uh, yeah, I think certainly more watchable. Yeah, uh, but it typifies how the sequels of these action films, by the end of it, just had no idea what they were doing, and they didn't understand that you needed something. A, a, you need more substance than uh, than just than just style, and and this this film mm. has style in abundance. Let's not take that away from it. It is it is ridiculously cool in a completely different yeah. way to the first film. The, the first film is very much a '90s film. It has that '90s aesthetic and feel, uh, feel. And this is very much a two thousands film. There is that subtlety in 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 how it's shot and how uh, and the things it it, it focuses on. Uh, the, the, there's no more noir cutaways, fadeaways, really. Or, or there are, but they're not nearly as, um, uh, you know, intentionally crafted and and to to yeah. produce a certain effect. It's it's more a callback, I think, rather than a a a a, a uh, device for portraying the the style of the film. If that makes sense. Yeah, this is just what Blade films have in them. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly, and you've got, I mean. Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel sort of summarize it in the sense that uh, sexy is all hell and uh, and look great while they're kicking ass, but it's just so vacuous, really. And uh, I think Ryan Reynolds is actually good in this film. Uh, he's just in the wrong film. <laughs> he's, he's in my plus points. I've, this one I've specifically got good and bad points, so I can try and be more balanced. Yeah. Ron Reynolds is, you know, there's a couple of dud lines, uh, a couple of jokes that fall flat, but he's charismatic, he's charming, he gets some genuine laughs out of me. Yeah, he he's he's entertaining. Um, I there's just part of you that maybe thinks it's kind of missing the point of mm. of, of what Blade is really, and he's is gearing more towards Deadpool Spider Man than Blade. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't have humorous moments in Blade, but it's a world away from what Blade 1 was uh, mm. in in how ultra-serious uh, the first Blade film was. And the only real bits of humor you, you got in the first Blade film was, you know, when he'd, like, do his smile or something, <laughs> and you'd just be like, oh, that is so cool. But you'd laugh along with it. Whereas this is, like, full-out... Um, you know, you you could name, we just mentioned Spider Man, Deadpool, but you could even say something like, uh, I don't know, a Michelangelo or Raphael from the Turtle or something in the in, the, mm. in that style of quip, and and um, I, I don't necessarily think you want a sidekick character stealing so much attention from blade <laughs> yeah. well that was part of the problem i mean i don't know how much the um i'm tempted to plug my headphones back in now that i've got a bit of juice in this thing um how much of the behind the scenes of this film are you aware of absolutely nothing right okay so the script comes in and wesley snipes is understandably irritated that he's being forced to share screen time with you know two other people you know the focus is going from him because now there's uh, a, a trio of them. It's a it's a full band, um, isn't it? Yeah, and and he wasn't happy with that because he was the star of the show, so he refuses to film a lot of the time. Decides to just wait in his trailer, and it takes essentially um, 
the Devil Esquire finds Ron Perlman by happenstance uh, around the set one day, and because Wesley Snipes was scared piss, uh, uh, just terrified the piss out of uh, by Ron Perlman, they use Ron Perlman to leverage him into doing more scenes under threat of violence. Um, but the more scenes that Wesley Snipes didn't want to partake in or do his his line readings, they said, well, something's got to fill the airtime. Just let Ryan Reynolds create more material. So by not participating, he then gave more work to Ryan Reynolds, which made him, you know, even more. Yeah, yeah, made him the biggest star. Pissed off Wesley Snipes all the more and gave him even more incentive not to engage whatsoever. And he really did make a rod for his own back with it all. Mm. So he's only himself to blame, really. But at the same time, the script is an unwieldy mess of x-men the last stand proportions and i'll get into details on that shortly mm. yeah you can you can tell as well that uh that ryan reynolds is uh ad-libbing all of his stuff really because it's completely different to the rest of what's in the film isn't it? yeah and a lot of it is cutaways back to him or adr yeah yeah um so the right should i read through the synopsis so we've got a yeah uh, you do that i'm gonna Give this some vital few seconds left of juicing and then plug in. Okay. Um, pa, 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 pa. Play Trinity Wiki. So, uh, we essentially. Blade Trinity to me feels like what should have been the. If, if you're going to do it, it feels like it should have been the sequel to the first one. And maybe, you know, when. Uh, Deacon was summoning the Blood God. This should have been the Blood God, and maybe the Blood God gets away and returns in the second film. Um, so, and backing it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, the war between humans and vampires continues. However, the human vampire hybrid Blade has been framed for countless murders by the vampire leader Danica Talos, who's determined to lead her bloodthirsty compatriots to victory. Now Blade must team up with a band of rogue vampire hunters to save humanity from its most challenging enemy yet. Dracula. Uh, I'd completely forgot about most of that, to be honest. And this is another one of those things that, uh, uh, that similar to in the first film. Blade, at the beginning of this movie, is framed. And... It's one of those moments where, to me, it was kind of breaking the fourth wall, almost. Because for the first two films, uh, you kind of just switch your mind off and think, okay, well, he's, he's killing all these people and being a vigilante, and why isn't the society paying attention to all these people being murdered by vampires? And then in the third film, it's like, oh no, that's that that's that's an issue now, you know? It's like this this vigilante called Blade, and he's killing people, and uh, and he's been set up, and the police are after him, and um, I think you either address that throughout the entire trilogy, or you don't address it at all. Yeah, and that's one of the points that uh, I've got noted down here. Yeah, uh, you might want to turn your volume up if you can. Uh, uh, okay, how is? Oh, no, that's as hard as it goes. Is that any better? Shall I just talk louder? Yeah, that's fine. That'll do. Ah, jolly good. You can scream if you want. It'll be very entertaining. <laughs> um, And so, yeah, that's just dropped in out of nowhere. But as soon as it comes into the film and you think, oh, I'm not sure about that, they just never address it again. So it's not even a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of 
four plot points that they bring up and then drop. <laughs> yeah, which is which is baffling. So, um, you could count that as a bad point, but it doesn't even come into the film until the end when all the police rush into this uh, building, and that's about the extent of it. Um, oh, apart from when they, um, oh yeah, because they come into his hideout and they. They make it. Whistler killed himself for some inexplicable again. reason. Yeah, again, <laughs> and that—that's something I thought at the time. This makes no sense. So you've got the police raiding your facility that has all the evidence about all the vampires, and you—why? Why are you exploding it? Surely this helps your case that there are vampires in the world, because they're like there are no vampires. And he's like, well, look at all this information. Oh no, I kind of blew it up. I don't understand that logic. Um, and so Whistler kills himself because uh, we've got two sexy young people now to um, to to be in his gang, and... including his out of wedlock daughter. Which oh yeah, is more yeah. shit retconning. Yep, they retcon that, and she's not really fussed in the slightest that her dad's just gone and blown herself up. It's, yep. it's yeah, like... she is an absolute plank of wood throughout this entire film. She makes. Kieran Knightley and parts of the Caribbean look like a, a well-defined, nuanced, emotive character. She may as well not be related to Whistler at all because they never do anything with it. And it no, it's it's just for that one scene when they they're breaking him out and um, Hannibal King shouts Whistler and Blade looks and it, she's like this way. Uh, that's it. That's as far as they go. Yep, yep. Doesn't make any sense. Um, and. Uh... Do you know if that gang is in the comics? I imagine it must be in the comics. Uh, Hannibal King definitely is. Uh, yeah. I'm not too sure about Abigail, but uh, more than likely. It wouldn't surprise me if she was. But yeah. yeah, Hannibal King is uh, sort of the, the quippy, wise, cracking jester character. It, right, but you don't know if it's as part of a wider group. Yeah, I'm not too sure what are they called, the Night Stalkers. Uh, it's probably real. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, that's just something that seems to come out of nowhere. And uh, you think, yeah. Um, so right, so the so the police catch Blade and they interrogate him. And um, I don't know how uh, well your WWE knowledge fares, but one of the things that I was found absolutely hilarious is is Triple H in this film, who uh, mm-hmm. I think this must be one of his first roles. And um, if you're not aware. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, a year or two before this, hit the um, uh, sort of made his first attempt at Hollywood with the Scorpion King, and did pretty well. He got uh, he was he was the, uh, you know the Scorpion King enemy in the second Mummy film, and then they gave him a spin-off for his own film. So he did he did pretty well out of it. And um, Triple H, who is in real life like uh, Rock and Triple H, did not get on they had a, a really intense rivalry between them uh triple h and Shawn michaels a, a good friend of him uh used to bully the rock for all intents and purposes without calling it bullying so he was super jealous when the rock started getting all of these hollywood movie roles and uh, and he thought i can do that if you can do it i can do it and i think blade trinity was one of his first attempts at uh, breaking into hollywood uh and if you want a if if you want to laugh, just follow Triple H's Hollywood career because it it it, it really is embarrassing. It's a delight. <laughs> it is. Who can ever forget the um the oh no I'm just thinking right filmography here we go. 
who can ever forget the chaperone? That classic. Um, did you ever see the chaperone? Uh, no. Oh, actually, it came out seven years after Blade Trinity, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm sure I do. Right, no, I need I need to bring this up because uh, this is just one of the all-time great movie posters. Uh, ba -ba -ba. That'll do. Okay, here we go. So this is uh, Triple H trying to emulate The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. In Oh, for frick's sake. Sorry, people. Right, try again. Copy image address. Here we go. So this is uh, Paul Levesque, Triple H, is the chaperone. And um, <laughs> well, I suppose it's no worse than the pacifier or kindergarten. Cop. Well, exactly. This was this was that era of Triple H's career. Mm. Yeah, it's the pacifier uh, stage, but it seemed to kill off any enthusiasm he he had towards Hollywood anyway. And um, why am I talking about this? Oh yeah, he's in he's in Blade Trinity, and <laughs> um, it's his performance is about it, this. This sums up his performance. <laughs> it's it's pretty. It's pretty abject. Um, so yeah, that's just a bit of a segue. But and yet, and yet, <laughs> you expect that from most WWE wrestlers. Um, but what is inexcusable is Parker Posey's borderline. Is she playing it special needs? It it comes across that way, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, her timing is absolutely awful, and I. Uh, I think it could just be her, um, but her mouth is always sort of like downcast, like an upside down smile. Yeah. It's really weird, mm. uh, and and she's essentially the final villain because they may big up Dracula in the film, but uh, Drake has absolutely no impact on the plot, no agency, um, it, it, whatsoever. She is essentially our main final villain, and she just feels like. She feels like the henchman's henchman. Yeah, yeah. And and yet, yeah, she she's our final villain, and she's bafflingly bad, mm. terribly bad. Yeah, she looks like tears, the verge of tears, while cosplaying as a Marilyn Manson uh, cosplayer the entire time. It's very peculiar. It is. It is a strange role, and just it encapsulates how messy. The entire film is written really there's there's no real thought put into you know what differentiates her from any of the henchmen villains from the previous films at all yeah. it's, it's just deacon frost again but... exactly but in yes. female form and, and that's why i say the the plot of this well no as, which is what i was saying so in the first film deacon frost wants to bring about the blood god which he does and then he's seen off relatively quickly in the first scene of this film, they resurrect Dracula, and mm -hmm. you think, well, isn't aren't we just at the end of where we were at the first film? <laughs> you know, could you not have had a film trying to stop them trying to resurrect Dracula, kind of thing? Um, and so, if you thought ahead, you'd think, well, why don't they just go back to the Blood God or something? Or you know, what I mean for making this the second film. Uh, and then following on from that, so the Blood God's already been released, and you don't need to go anywhere near Dracula, and this is kind of the follow-through, but anyway, regardless. Um, and yeah, it's all just doesn't amount to anything, because you've 
Give me a pic. Oh my god, this is. Oh. And this this confuses things more because we've got on the screen. So this is uh, Dracula, Drake, but it it just looks more like uh, devil cosplay, really. Yeah, he does. They try to make out that he's essentially it's like a demon or something, don't they? Uh, yeah, you're like a vampire and he's a, a demon. But again, they're they're so non-specific about the origins. And this is because, as I see it, they shot their load on the vampire from the second film, which was Nosferatu, Eastern European, and was, for all intents and purposes, supposed to be Dracula. And then they were like, oh, we've done that, so what difference can we do? Yeah, exactly. What I did somewhat like about him was the fact that he was, he was a warrior, and despite the fact that he was a horrible butcher that worked his way through all of, like, um, uh, Mesopotamia and... Uh, and Europe, he's uh, uh, an honourable man that eventually got tired with the way the world was sort of developing and it literally buried himself in a pyramid. <laughs> he just literally entombed himself underground under a pyramid. Because that's what all the great rulers did. you know. Exactly. Genghis yeah. Khan, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. Napoleon. They, they were all just like, I've conquered too much. <laughs> but it's like Schmittler in his bunker, you know. He he tried to do the same thing until they hauled him out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're not having another Dracula on our hands. Um, but yeah, they they make a big deal of. Uh, to its credit, the first ten minutes of the film with them traveling to um, where is it? It's not Syria, is it? It's it's somewhere out. It's in Iraq. The, it's Iraq. It's Iraq. Yeah, they they go out to the Middle East and uh, they find Dracula, and then you cut to Blade, and it's all very slick and stylish with the music, which is. Uh, thumping and cool and you get the action sequence and then you get to Blade being captured by the police and everything um, and all that for the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes I thought okay maybe it isn't as bad as I remember and then the Night Stalkers come into it and it collapses but essentially Blade 3 is made up of four different plot stands each one of them dropped so we begin with Blade Most Wanted dropped in favour of the Vampire Final Solution which is like Mm. Dave human farming uh drop that okay but what they actually want is the vampires want to use drake's blood to cure them of their their daylight aversion uh, no that's dropped uh, uh and then in the final minutes uh, D- dracula wants to fight blade and and now they're going to cure all vampires and th- that sort of happens but then how have they stopped vampires if so is blade still a vampire are there still vampires yeah it doesn't matter yeah yeah. That's it. No plot thread is effectively carried through to its conclusion. They all just sort of jump from one to the other to the other. There's there's yeah. a point you have completely forgotten about the human farming. And they mm. say, Yeah, there's one of these in every city in America and you're like Well there's a there's a full there's full yeah. movie right there. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't even you know at the end of the movie, if you think about it, they get rid of all the vampires, but they've still got all these human farms just operating. Yeah, they shut down one. <laughs> and that's it. And, and he's like, do, do you know the password to shut this down? Like, yes, harvest. Well, do it then. Oh, well, that solves all the problems. And you just, you know, killed all these brain, <laughs> brain dead, uh, uh, you know, blood, uh, you know, donators. It's, um, yeah, it's just... And then at the same time, it's not like he's going out after the vampires. All he's done is cut off their immediate food supply. So what are they going to do? They're going to take to the streets. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's just made it worse. It's it's a mess of a film. Uh, I'd say it should be lower than 5.9 on IMDb. It really uh, should be. I think it's purely Ryan Reynolds and yes. Wesley Snipes for, for 
what feels like the seldom amount of time that is in it that escalate it because the script's an absolute mess there's far too many characters there's far too many plot threads um there there's a scene where they they're showing off the weapons and it's it slows the film to a, an absolute screeching halt so they can say look at this thing it does this now i'm going to say my thing and now i say my thing and at the end of the film they use each one of the weapons once to kill one vampire mm. and then that's like that. what is it like a light arc it's like a it's designed like a giant bow but instead of a string it's got a beam of light and it burns with the heat of a thousand apple turnovers cooked in a gas <laughs> microwave um <laughs> And they use it once. They spend more time talking about it than they do actually using it in the film. Mm. It's, uh, Blade Trinity. Bad movie. It doesn't even end with Blade. It, it's Ron Reynolds. Ron like, Reynolds' voiceover. Yeah. And, yeah. and Blade just sort of CGI motorbikes out the end. <laughs> uh, I think that's where we'll leave it for this episode are you uh, you happy with that do you got anything else um, to add unless you want to do a quick hypothetically speaking i think what we'll do is um okay I... so everyone listening uh this will be the end of the charisma vacuum podcast but what we will do matt is as long as you are free i will speak to you on sunday night and we will do those separately from this show and then we'll just add them as clips uh throughout okay. the week so so they'll still be there we'll get them recorded and um and we'll just make them as clips because uh, this is already like three hours long so uh we're just trying you know <laughs> not add no to it about blade three for for this amount of time even when it was fresh and relevant that's it's pretty impressive it's a pretty mighty um look back at blade so if you're watching this in the clip version thank you for checking it feel free to check out our other reviews and hopefully uh, you'll find them equally as entertaining. But yeah, and we... apologies for the uh, the dip in sound quality for anyone that joins midway through. My laptop can only handle sound or power because um, of a stupid design fault. So uh, I have to sort of juggle my time effectively. And uh, we've just had too much to talk about this week. We have, we have. It's been a very jam packed show. So I'm looking forward to digging through it all and uh, you know chopping it up and, and seeing what uh, stands out. So uh, we hope you all enjoyed it thank you for sticking with us this long three hours is not a, the length of show that we have done for a while but uh we've enjoyed it so hopefully you have too matt thank you for joining me been an absolute blast and we will see you all next week so take care until then uh, we'll see him sunday potentially um yeah well yeah yeah we will. Yeah, 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 sure. we'll, we'll, well, we'll We'll, we'll figure yeah. it out, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely yeah, see you next week. So, <laughs> yeah. cheers, guys. We'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Have a good.